speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 68 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is it, folks. This episode, we're going to cover episodes 12 and 13 of season 6 of The Adventures of Superman, episodes 103 and 104, and then that's it. The end. <laughs> we have reached the end with this episode of my coverage of The Adventures of Superman, and well, there's still going to be one more episode next week, so... But for th- for this time, I've got Bob Fisher back with me, who seems like he's been here for most of season six. Yay for season six! Yeah, definitely a yay for season six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After season five, but you handled the season five with all of the professional duties that one would expect from someone uh, of your caliber. It was it was a masterwork getting through zero and elephants and just oh the coats. Prince Albert, the stuff that you were able to persevere through is 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 just remarkable. You did a wonderful, wonderful job. Why, thank you. <laughs> and but uh, season six come back very strong. Very strong, it did. Yeah. And speaking of your first appearance on uh, season six, we've got a letter from Dave McElvenny. Woohoo! Hi, Dave. Hey, Dave. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 63, in which we discussed the magic secret and divide and conquer. Mmm. So. I love those episodes. I know you do. I was there. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. This episode was a real gem, with you and Bob Fisher discussing the magic secret and divide and conquer, which both of you certainly seem to enjoy. This may come a bit of a surprise to you, since you know that I would typically defend all things Superman, but even as a kid, I didn't really like the magic secret all that much. Mm. You all right over there? You sound wounded. Yeah, I'm okay. I got, it It just a little hurt a little bit. That was a little bit there. <sighs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, while it's true that the kryptonite ray was really cool to see, the whole episode hinges on Jimmy's fascination with the levitation trick and having both Perry White and Superman perform it as if it's actual magic and not really a trick, despite that Perry says, of course it's a trick. Both Perry and Superman perform the levitation with no prior preparation or equipment available, and in Superman's case, he clearly makes Lois stiff and strong as steel when he levitates her. No one with even an elementary understanding of stage magic could buy this. As a young kid, I was very interested in magic, and read many books on magic tricks, including levitation. So, I knew even at a young age that what I was seeing in this episode couldn't be a magic trick, and that pretty well spoiled the story for me. I realized as an adult that in the show they wouldn't spoil the trick for real stage magicians by revealing how it's done, but for the story to hang together, the viewer has to believe that it requires no preparation or equipment, and that the levitated subject is somehow physically transformed. One thing I, I do want to say, one thing I, I don't buy about the levitation and the stiffening of Lois, Yeah, I don't care how stiff he made her. She wouldn't stop that wall. She wouldn't have stopped the wall. It would have broken mm. her, like her bones would have splintered. Right, right. I think the only thing that I can say in defense is uh, that 
it, there are times in this show where you really, really, really have to suspend your disbelief. But I can remember even as a kid seeing that one and thinking to myself, even as a kid seeing it, that, wow, they really hid the mechanism pretty cool. They're hiding it until the one time in the, you know, when they were down in the hole, you could obviously see the shadow of the arm in the background of the of the little table thing but but yeah you gotta you got <laughs> yeah you really gotta suspend that old disbelief on this one i i just think almost that the kryptonite ray gun coming down and that to me that was the show that's right. the part that grabbed me of the show not so much the levitation trick or even you know later that how they jimmy was able to crawl up there you know, I think, no, you, the amount of strength necessary to do it from the distance he did it is, is physically impossible. Had the wall been closer where he could use his back and his feet, it's, it's quite possible he could have pulled that off. But no, from that distance, couldn't have done it. But again, once you buy the premise, you buy the bit. Right. So we buy the premise that a man can fly. But to, again, going back to that episode in specific terms, it was the kryptonite ray that just, that's what sticks out to me as a kid. It's And today, even when I think of that episode, I laugh at the other stuff. But uh, those kryptonite rays and the way it affects George and the way he goes down, whew, as a kid, that just got me. Got me. So, All right. So back to Dave. Back to Dave. I was intrigued by your mentioning that on IMDb, it's claimed that this is George Reeves and John Hamilton's final performance. I can't find any other source that confirms this. And it yeah, does appear that other episodes were filmed later than this one. Yeah. So I wonder if that statement on IMDb is just a mistake. And it probably is. It's one of those things where anybody can post something to IMDb. Mm. It's kind mm -hmm. of much like Wikipedia in that sense. Okay. Because so. I was like, Dave, I meant to say something on that too. Thanks, Dave, for doing that because I meant to say something too. I looked that up. I tried to find another source for that anywhere. It doesn't mention it in Serial to Serial. It doesn't mention it in the Guide to the Adventures of Superman book. When talking about those episodes, I couldn't find it anywhere other than the IMDb entry. Right. All so, right. there. Well, there that is. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, back to Dave. Divide and Conquer is a much more of a favorite of mine as it is of both you and Bob. I love the development of a new power for Superman. One, which you point out, comes with a cost to him which heightens the tension in this episode and keeps the splitting power from becoming a trite method of preserving Superman's secret identity. Right. I also love the introduction of Professor Lucerne and wish we'd gotten to see more of him than just a couple of appearances. I wonder if we can consider the power Superman uses based on Lucerne's advice in the mysterious cube might be related to this one because both seem to involve Superman manipulating his molecular density. I'm, right. looking, I'm looking forward to hearing you and Bob Fisher discuss that one next week. Thanks, as always, for the fun. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. All right. Yeah, so. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thank you, Dave. And the only question I have is, we, we can't know for sure if it's the same power, because in the Mysterious Cube, we didn't have to watch George Reeves make his uh, toilet face. <laughs> no, because he was shot from the back. Shot from the back, so. Yeah, but uh, uh, I think it's the same principle, you know, his molecular, adjusting his molecular structure. Well, it seems One so that actually divided, the other one so that it just vibrated, I guess. It seems as though Professor Lucerne is the utmost expert on Superman's molecular density. Uh, he's the one he went to twice. For molecular reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, had, we had a couple of really good uh, professors throughout the series. Oh, but we can talk. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that in our yeah, recap later. Yeah, and I got and I got one more thing. There's another yeah. email from 
Actually, another the, email. There's another email. Actually, this guy Carver copied you, so you may or may not have seen this. Mm-hmm. This is from Chris Cavanaugh. Hi, Chris. Yes. Chris writes that I'm relatively new to your podcast and I've been enjoying them immensely, particularly when Bob Fisher helps out. If you, ha- <laughs> if you haven't seen it already, I thought you might be interested in this Superman 55 comic I saw via Dan Greenfield's 13th Dimension blog. And the direct link, and he gives, gives a direct link, I'll put it in the, in the show notes. Basically what this is, is the Superman and the Secret, Co- Secret Planet comic that we were talking about a few weeks back. Yes. Randy Garrett is right, the artist. Yes. And... He, Chris here writes, uh, spoiler alert, there are a lot of familiar faces throughout, and the extended alternate ending draws heavily from Divide and Conquer. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it yet. Oh, you need to read that. I, and I will. I got this email the other day, so I was just kind of looking at the uh, the pictures. I'm probably going to download the images and make a CBR file out of them. So I can That's them. exactly what I did. I, I downloaded the images and made a CBR and put it on my tablet right. so I could read it comfortably and like a comic. I wish he would do a cover for it. He didn't do a cover for it. I one thing I cover. one thing I noticed that the ca- some of the characters he drew were some of the actors that were on the show. Absolutely, absolutely. One um, di- one disappointment though. Yeah. No Ben Weldon. That's true. That's true. It just <laughs> didn't go that way. It didn't stay on. It becomes a. It's kind of a space type show. A space. It ha- a lot of it takes place off the planet. Right. And uh, uh, it's well, he, it's he, really fun. He could, really have been one, he could have been one of the aliens. He could have been one of the aliens, and he could have been one of the other mobsters that they did have a thing. And I and I agree with you. You're right. He, he could have been. Uh, because they used ca- the likeness of people from the Krypton scene. They yeah. used the guy with the white hair and the little mustache. Yeah, that was the guy from Talkative Dummy, I believe. Yes. He, he was yes. in a few other episodes, but I can't. the only one that's coming to me is Talkative Dummy. Yes. Uh, Leonard Moody showed up. Yes. Was in so, there. Yeah, it, 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 there was one big burly guy. I wonder if that was supposed to be Richard Reeves. Yeah, that's where I thought. I thought the big guy was was Richard Reeves. and But they should have given him a fly swatter so we would know for sure. And, or, and, or a yo-yo. Or a, and no, he, he wasn't doing the uh, no, He wasn't doing the yo-yo. But he was doing the fly swatter. And I think that there was a drawing in there of the guy who played uh, the public defender Faraday in Wedding of Superman. Yes. Looked, and... Also, uh, Joy Lansing makes an appearance. Yes, she did, and uh, it was fun to see all, oh, the, sci- all the, the drawing of all the scientists. Uh, the guy from Panic in the Sky. Yes. Although I was having trouble placing the black scientist. Was that the guy from Drums of Death in season one? That's what I was thinking. It was the guy, yeah, from the from this Jungle Drums, not Jungle Drums. Drum, the, Drums of Death. Drums the guy, of the Death. Guy from Hades. Yes. Yes. That's what I was thinking. It was. Or no, the guy, the the doctor who came to see them. That they wanted to, you know, he was like the scientist there. Right, he ran off to see a scientist. Yeah, but he wouldn't go into the jungle. No, no. The black no. guy. Well, no, that was, that That, that guy was uh, the villain, and he was uh, pretending to be. Yeah, he was, was, no, the tall, skinny black guy in the white suit. Oh, yeah, right. That they talked Yeah, but it, it wasn't first. him. At one point, that guy, I forgot what that guy's name was anyway, but it doesn't matter. He, uh, he took Clark to see another scientist, and I think that's who was drawn in the comic. Oh, right, right, to, right. To analyze, I think, the stuff that the uh, big guy Johnson was wearing. Yes, the rag. To see if it had, uh, yeah, we'll see what was on the cloth, which was the shoe polish or makeup or whatever. Right. But, yeah, it's all in that comic book drawn by Randy Garrett. But I am going to have to make uh, a CBR out of that so I can read it. Yeah, you really should because it's a fun thing and it's uh, a script that uh, that someone had hoped to turn into a movie. 
starring all of the people of the George Reeves TV show. Maybe I'll do that before the next time we record. Okay, good. Do that. Make a point of that. It's yeah. a. It's worth it. It's worth taking your time to do that. It's uh, the artwork and some of the panels. You'll you'll say, oh, that's just right off the TV show. Oh, I I, I look I looked at the art. I it's just terrific. The art was terrific. You know. When I looked at it, I didn't have time to sit down right. and read it at that time. Also, no. Randy Garrett has another scene, which I use on Facebook sometimes as my cover image for my Facebook. And it's Superman and Lois and Jimmy and Perry at the diner where, uh, who was it, Superman's friend where he the bent rifle. Oh, uh, Tony's or whatever it was. Tony. Yeah, Tony's diner. And uh, it's got all kinds of fun stuff up on the wall and stuff. And there's Tony and his daughter and... Jimmy's drinking a glass of milk and eating a hamburger while he's flirting with what's her face. It's a it's a great, great image. And Superman is sitting there with his, you know, black and white costume on. It's just terrific. Good image. Randy Garrett. Give him a lot of credit. And I'll put that link in the in the show notes of those of Good. you. All right. So why don't we uh, take a break? We'll play a promo. Yay for promos. And then we'll come back with the perils of Superman. Hang around, folks. This is an imaginary podcast. Which may never have happened. The short box showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity crisis. Lone wolf and cub. Hergé's Tintin. White tiger. It tells of their rise to glory. When the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. (laughs) It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultraman... Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. And we're back. Yes, we are. Back for The Perils of Superman. Original broadcast date was April 21st, 1958. Writers were Robert Leslie Bellum and Wendy Ellsworth. Director was George Reeves. Who? George Reeves. Really? Really. Oh. Have you heard of him? Yes. Uh, I know who he yeah, is. Yeah, I do too. I've heard of he him. He was too. on an episode of I Love Lucy. He was. And he was in Gone with the Wind. And he was, yes, from here to eternity. I, I know a lot of other things he was right. into, B-movies and serials and other things. Right. But, but that, that was yeah. his most famous stuff. This, his directoral debut. No, this was not his directoral debut. 
The Brainy Burrow was it? There. Oh, right, video. Brainy Burrow. Right. Sorry. Whoops. Mm. Whoops. Who wants? I knew that. Who really wants to remember that though? Yeah, that's why I try to kind of put that one out of my brain a little bit. Yeah, a little. And I wasn't here for Brainy Burrow, so it doesn't count. It's not for you. I was here. <laughs> you liked Brainy Burrow, huh? I didn't say that. Oh. <laughs> I just said but I were... I just said I was here. Oh, you were here. That's true. You were here. I wasn't here for Brainy Burrow. Do you remember what that was teamed with? What were the two episodes that night? That was teamed with with the episode that came before it. <laughs> I haven't I haven't actually done that episode yet, so I Yeah, I don't remember either. I I don't have the list in front no, of me. Um, now winging it without a list. Yeah, now See, I just I make you do the work. Now it's bothering make me. Make you do the heavy lifting. Now you see now that's bothering me. So of course. You have to look it up. You can't let that go by without looking it up. It must be something oh, that is solved. Three and one. Which not a terrible episode. Not a great one. Not would not make my top ten no. list. But the concept is good, and I think that one came from a comic book too. I think uh, Whitney Ellsworth produced that one. The story editor was also Mort Weisinger, and I think... Well, Mort Weisinger's uh, been story editor for years. For years. For years and years. Probably since season two or three. Whenever the, whenever the DC Comics people came on, that's when Mort Weisinger came on. That was season two. So I think yeah, that's when, when he came, came on. on. Yeah. And um, some of that was good. Some of that was not so good. But like the man himself, Mort Weisinger... Up and down. So, but yeah, so uh, three and one was not terrible. I like the concept. Took three guys to pull off crimes that made it look like uh, someone with Superman's powers yeah, that, did it. Not terrible. There's a good Jimmy Olsen moment in it or two. Yeah, not bad. But again, not in the top 10 of, of the episodes. All right. Uh, so what about, but there was a, what about this? There was a good blase moment of George in a costume. You know, bullets bounce off. Are you really shooting at me? Well, yeah, you got to that a lot in season six. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? Is this one in one of the in the, in the top ten? Uh, Perils of Superman. Yep. Yes, I think I think in my personal top ten, I think Perils does make it into the top ten. Makes it into mine too. Um, particularly for color episodes, I still. I, I still have two distinct barriers, top 10 black and white and top 10 color, even though, yes, I know that the first, actually second season is really like the first season of the rest of yeah, the episodes. It, there's the a stark difference between seasons one and two. One and two. And there, uh, season two has a lot more in common with the color episodes than the first season of black and white episodes. But I still, for several reasons, lump the black and white episodes together and the color episodes together. Also half and half. Yeah, exactly. They are half and half episodes. You get the same number of in two first seasons that you're going to get in three, four, five, and six in the remaining four. I think we talked about that. We have. Too. But uh, yeah, so... But yeah, I think this episode, Perils of Superman, fits into one fits into my top ten color episodes. All right. So our guest cast is Michael Fox as Rogan. He is the leader of the Lead Mask Gang. Steve Mitchell is Hale, and I'm not sure where James Lance from Superman Homepage got these names. They're never mentioned in the show. 
Hmm. The only thing Hale gets called in, in this episode is you fool at the end. <laughs> is the henchman. And Yvonne White is Ethel, Perry White's secretary. Hmm. And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. The number one Superman fan site in the world. Well done. See, that was real right there. That was pretty good. That was. Yeah. And it didn't even take us into a five-minute tangent. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So Daily Planet editor Perry White Secretary Ethel has just called the chief. A most unusual person wants to see him. Well, Mr. Olsen, you've done it again. I've warned you time and time again. And now hear this. I am now warning you positively for the last time. Yes, what is it? I don't know what's wrong with this girl. What is it? There's um, uh, a gentleman here to see you, Mr. White. Well, what's his name? Who is he? I don't know. He won't say. Oh, he won't, won't he? Well, you know I never see people unless... What does he look like? I said, what does he look like? Uh, I don't know. You don't know his name. You don't know what he looks like. You send him up. Mr. White says you may go up. I heard him. Ethel's usually very efficient, Chief. But this time she acted... You shut up! As though she was seeing things. And maybe she was. What's the meaning of this? Patience, Mr. White. I shall try to explain. I wish Clark was here to see this. In the first place, I'm gratified to find you all here together. Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen. I could only wish that Mr. Clark Kent could be present also. I hear my name mentioned? Well, I didn't realize it was so close to Halloween. It was good of you to come, Mr. Kent. No trouble at all. What's this all about? It's really very simple. The Daily Planet, with Superman's help, succeeded in ruining the best-paying racket I ever had and sent several of my closest friends to jail. Well, they must have deserved it then. That's beside the point. I intend to get even. With Superman? Why, don't be silly. Nobody can harm him. No, but I can strike at him through his friends. Meaning us? All of you. And with you out of the way, the planet days as a newspaper will be numbered. You'll never get away with it. Whatever you're planning, Superman will stop you. When he doesn't even know where I am, or what I look like, or who I am? Well, he'll know what you look like as soon as he sees through that mask you're wearing. This mask happens to be made of lead. That's the one thing his X-ray vision can't see through. Then you'll yank it off. He can't. It's locked on. And besides, I have ten other men walking the streets of this town dressed exactly like I am and wearing the same kind of lead masks. And there's a locked on, too. And I'm the only one with the key. Ten other men who look like that? Exactly. And Superman can't keep an eye on all of us at the same time. While he's watching some of us, the rest of us will be taking care of you. Taking care of us? How? In several ways. <laughs> I'm a do-it-yourself fan myself. I love gimmicks. And I've got a different surprise fixed up for each one of you. And this is one time when Superman won't come to your rescue. Where's Kent? Oh, where did he go? Oh, you know Clark. He's probably so frightened he's out looking for a place to hide. Maybe that's what we'd all better do. Or maybe that guy in the mask was just bluffing. I don't think so. He sounded as if he meant every word. Clark has convinced Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson to assign some men to protect Perry, Lois, and Jimmy. However, he may be too late for two of the group. Jimmy has told Henderson that Perry and Lois have gone to a press luncheon. Unfortunately, they never arrived. 
A villain in a lead mask has taken them to the criminal's hideout, where the target phase of gang leader Rogan's plan can go into effect. I suppose this is what you call a hideout. It isn't much, Miss Lane, but it will serve our purpose. Of course, you realize we know every mile of the route we took, and we also know exactly where this place is. It doesn't matter, Mr. White. You're not going to be around to tell anyone. And as a matter of fact, I don't think you could remember the route we took. Huh. Well, for example, suppose you wanted to tell uh, young Mr. Olson, say, how to get here. What would you say? Mr. Olson, get in your car, take the Crest Lake Road, about four miles past Belleville. Make the first right turn past the railroad track on a dirt road. The first house you see will be where you'll find Miss Lane and me and a couple of pretty stupid crooks. That's very good. And now, would you mind repeating that message when I get Mr. Olson on the line? I certainly would mind. And gun or no gun, I won't do it. <laughs> Daily Planet, Mr. James Olson, please. Olson's office, what? Uh, White's office, Olson speaking. Mr. Olson, get in your car, take the Crest Lake Road, about four miles past Belleville. Make the first right turn past the railroad track on a dirt road. The first house you see will be where you'll find Miss Lane and me. I was afraid you might not repeat the message, so I took the precaution of recording your words on a portable tape recorder. Well, that's a dirty trick. All's fair, Miss Lane. And now we must be going again. Each of you has a date with destiny. A last date. Outside. Outside. The fact that nobody has answered the telephone in Perry's office worries Clark and Inspector Henderson. Jimmy doesn't answer. Lois and Mr. White never did get to the luncheon they were scheduled to attend. I don't like it, Kent. Neither do I, and I'm going to do something about it, too. Wait a minute. I'm going to throw out a dragnet. I'm going to fine comb the city. Now, you wait a minute. If this character in the lead mask has got the chief and Lois and Jimmy, throwing out a dragnet wouldn't do any good. I've got a better idea. Such as? Well, I'll just let him capture me, too. Then, with a little luck, they'll take me where they're holding the others. I'll buy that. If they do grab you, I'll be following with my men. Now, let's see. The last place any of the others were heard from was the office. That's probably where that character in the lead mask is waiting for me, too. I'll see you, Bill. We'll be there. Uh, get me, Murphy. Henderson and his men, in the meantime, are guarding the main entrances of the Daily Planet building. Rogan, however, has planned for that eventuality. All right up. Surprised? No, I don't suppose I should be. After all, you did say you were going to revenge yourself on us. You intend to shoot me right here in my own office? That would be too easy. When I get through with you, even Superman wouldn't know you. Start walking. Downstairs? So the police can follow us? I'm not that stupid. We go upstairs to the roof. The roof? You can't take me anywhere from there. That's what you think. He takes Kent to the roof where a helicopter awaits. The whirly bird takes to the sky to evade Henderson. Well, Mr. Nosy Reporter, you've turned in your last story. In a minute, you'll be lowered into that vat of acid. You wouldn't dare. You're just bluffing, trying to frighten me. 
Want to bet? But, but that's illegal. The, the police wouldn't let you get away with it. I wouldn't count on that if I were you. First, they'd have to find this old factory, and they're not about to do that. How would Inspector Henderson trace us here? Well, I guess he couldn't. I'll say he can't. No more than he'll find Perry White, Lois Lane, and that Cub Olsen. Are they here too? They're nowhere near here. Well, what have you done with them? It's not what I've done, but what I'm about to do. I don't mind telling you that they're doomed, just like in the old-time movie serials. Movie serials? Yes. For instance, we have Mr. White in the old sawmill back of Centerville. He's tied up like a bale of laundry. And in just about 10 minutes, he'll go sliding into the buzzsaw. Oh, no. Fact. And in just about 15 minutes, Lois Lane will perish too. She's tied to the railroad tracks on the main line just east of Rockport Junction, where the Midwestern flyer hits better than 80 miles an hour. You know what that means. It's horrible. Isn't it? And then there's Jimmy Olsen. Would you like to know where he is? Right now, he's driving his car back of Crestvale up into the mountains. But what he doesn't know is that we've poured acid over the brakes and the steering gear. And in, oh, say about 20 minutes, he'll be going down a sharp curve and then, blam! You'll never get away with this. If you're depending on Superman, I wouldn't. He doesn't even know what's going on. Are you sure? Well, if he did, he'd be here. I don't see him around. Do you? No. And he's not going to be. <laughs> it's a sense you're not going to get word to him. Start the motor. I've always liked these old-fashioned but imaginative ways of getting rid of one's enemies. You do seem to have gone to a great deal of trouble. No trouble at all. Although I had hoped that you'd take it a little harder. You know, begged for mercy and that sort of thing. Sorry to disappoint you. Well, that's life or death. Farewell, Mr. Kent. <laughs> As the villains take their leave of Kent, the mild-mannered reporter is lowered into the chemicals. The clock is ticking at each vicious plot device from the movie serials preparing to kill Lois, Perry, and Jimmy. There is a five-minute space between each trap starting. Meanwhile, Superman has emerged from the acid in his full red, blue, and yellow costume glory. Unfortunately, with very little time to spare, the Metropolis Marvel may not be able to pull off the most daring rescue of his career in order to reach his friends in time. Having blocked the buzzsaw with his invulnerable chest, untied Lois and gotten a hanging Jimmy off a cliff, Superman only needs to get the, the lead mask gang to Inspector Henderson. No! Nice and easy. Give me the other one. Oh. <laughs> oh, golly, Superman, am I glad to see you. Well, the feeling is mutual, I assure you. How did you manage to get yourself in a spot like that? Oh, I, I tried to save myself. When the car went over the cliff, I jumped out. <laughs> but I jumped the wrong way. I'll bet you had your eyes closed. Yeah. How did you guess? Figures. Golly. What about Miss Lane and Mr. White? Well, they're all right now. That reminds me. Jimmy, you'll have to hit yourself a ride home. I have to go and find out uh, just who this criminal is responsible for all this. Oh, that shouldn't be hard. I, I wrote his address down. You did? Nice going. Thanks to the directions Jimmy wrote down, the man of tomorrow is able to confront his foes and take them to police headquarters. So naturally, when we got down to headquarters, the rest was easy. Superman used his X-ray eyes to see which one had the key which unlocked all the lead masks. Naturally, he was the ringleader. 
Now they'll all go to prison for a long, long time. Well, we surely owe our lives to Superman. All of us. We certainly do, don't we, Clark? Well, all I can say is if it weren't for Superman, I wouldn't be here. You know, there's one thing I don't understand, boss. We saw Kent go in that tub of acid, but we didn't... Shut up, you fool! Don't ever say anything about that again. Don't even think it. Nobody believe it, huh? Nobody. I don't even believe it myself. Alright, so, what do you think of this penultimate episode in the series? <clears throat> well, I kind of gave it away a little bit, but yeah, I, I really like this one a lot. I, I like a lot of things about this one. A whole lot, actually. I love the fact, too, that they actually say, it's almost a little meta, a little bit, where they actually say in the, the dialogue itself that they're, um, the bad guy is basing his crime on the movie serials. And he's even asking, do you remember those movie serials? Well, they were like yesterday to you guys. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> some of them may still be going on in 1958. But right. I think yeah. it's... They were uh, ending at this point, but there was still some going on. Yeah, and I think that's pretty funny to, to be treating it as if it were in a really old format. And it's still to that moment was being done. But I get what he was saying, and I love that. And not only did I like the idea that it's a little meta in that way, talking about the thing while you're going to do it to your guys, but George directed this and shot this thing similar to one of those movies. I mean, there was the same pacing, the tempo. I think George did a really good job with this sucker, you know, as a director. So, yeah, overall, I, I do like it. I like the concept. I like uh, the execution of it. And uh, like I said, it fits probably into my top ten. You know, just watching this, because I, I had a running t tonight before we uh, got on. Yeah, me too. This is probably the most suspenseful episode since season one. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And I love the fact that they weren't all, all three of them were in jeopardy, but in different places. Normally, right. for the rest of the series, it was like one or two or three of them were all tied up, but they were all tied up together. Right, together. And so all Superman had to do, if you save one, you save them all. You're right. This one right. had the tension and the music stayed with it the whole time. And again, the editing, the way it was cut and timed, it, it was done really, really well for the suspense of the building and up to, ooh, and there was a lot of George in this episode. Uh-huh. You know, in, sometimes when an actor directs an episode, their character kind of uh, disappears. Like the next one? <laughs> right, like the next one. <laughs> right. He's barely in all the glitters. Exactly. But there was really nowhere to hide George Reason the way this episode was written. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Both as Clark and as Superman. I mean, he's in every other scene. Yeah. So, and you know what I, I noticed watching this one and in the next episode too, all of a sudden, you know, all season I've been complaining about how pale the costume looked. Yes. It looks good in these two episodes. It looks great in these two episodes. Yeah. All the colors are on. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too, Earl. It, it's one of mine is that it looks gorgeous. Perfect. It looks. It's not washed know. out. The colors are vibrant. Yeah. And the yellow really pops. It's not that pale white anymore. No, it's the yellow. Agreed. It it looks really, really good 
in this episode. It's a good print. It's a good copy of it. All of the colors pop on this episode. I mean, it's just a really good looking, feeling episode. And uh, it reminds me so much of the first season. And it's got elements again back that they have used now. I think this is the third time is that lead helmet. And it's a great helmet. I love this helmet. And I love the other two episodes it appeared in. It's not it's not the same helmet, is it? I think it's the same one as the man in the lead mask. I think it's the same helmet. And I think it's the same helmet that was used in um, the finger and the voice. No, no, not the voice. The When the crook was trying to make the other crooks think he had had his face and fingerprints changed. And they wore a lead mask. That was the man in the lead No, that wasn't man no. in the lead mask? That was I, no. There's 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 um, man in the lead mask. I don't know. I, I've got a picture oh, up. Wait a of, minute. I've got a picture up of the on my phone of the man in the lead mask. Okay. I don't think so. You don't think it's the same mask? No. Interesting. It looks similar, but it doesn't look exactly the same. So they made a new mask. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Who knows? But if well, all these all those years later, who knows if that mask even still existed? Yeah. And the fact that there's more than one of them. Well, there's only two. Well, we saw it because of the, in one of the scenes, he said, plus I've given everybody and I have my boys all walked Right, he says, he says there are ten of them. And how many do we actually see? You know, in that scene, yeah. I counted six. <laughs> but I don't necessarily know if I saw any more than two at a time. I mean, it could have been the same two guys just walking just through. Just keep walking and editing and back and forth. Same two guys. No, it, was, it was all one take. They could have been walking around the set or, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't actually know. <clears throat> I don't know if we saw any more than two at That's a time. funny because all the times I've seen that episode, I've haven't, I have never tried to actually count all the guys. That's funny because that would be, yeah, you'd have to try to figure out how many of these helmets did they make. I can't imagine they only ca- they they only cast two guys to wear them the lead mask. <laughs> so yeah, I can only imagine they made two. <sighs> Interesting. You see, this is where you see that that this show was different from ways things would be done today. Oh, yeah. Because if this episode were made now, yeah, the man in the lead mask would have been someone we've seen before. Right, he'd be and a it recurring been a, character. Right, you know. I mean, he's revenging himself on the Daily Planet Superman. It would be it would almost be like a, reven- a Superman Revenge Squad type thing. Right. Or a Daily Planet Revenge Squad. Mm-hmm. Where it would be people we've seen before under the masks. Because, you know, we've never seen this. It's not even an actor we've seen before. So, when this guy's mask gets taken off, who cares who it is? Right. Right. If yeah. this, if, if this show were to do a recurring villain once, this might have been, been, been the time. To bring somebody back. Yeah, because when the mask comes off, it would somebody be... Somebody we've seen before. Somebody we've seen. The big boss. No, Mr. X. Uh, you, could, <laughs> you couldn't put John Eldridge's beautiful face behind a lead mask. <laughs> <laughs> behind a lead mask. He would not allow it. <laughs> Bad enough you had to keep him in the dark in the dark, <laughs> behind a towel in one episode. Yeah. That was a fun episode, though. I still like that episode, too. With uh, Well, that was... Season uh, one. S- season one. Such a good episode. Wow. Save it yes. for the recap. <laughs> let's, get, uh, let's get into it. Yes, Perils... Of Superman. Of Superman. 
So we start off with a very frightened secretary, and they are... A uh, different secretary. We haven't seen her before. We haven't seen a, a, a secretary in seasons. Years. Years. Might have been one for Great Caesar's Ghost. Is that the last one? I'm trying to think of a color episode where we actually saw Perry have a, a, a secretary. It's been a while. It's been a long time since we've seen Perry with a, sec- with a secretary. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. So, but right now, Perry has one. Um, and maybe she's not necessarily Perry's secretary. She, like, she could be the woman at the entrance. Right. So, anyway, uh, he is... We're not there. Not, the director, which in this case, George, is being uh, very careful to not show the man's head. So, we're seeing his arm, and we're seeing... Actually, I thought this woman for her, Someone they brought in for one scene did a really good job. She looked mm-hmm. terrified at what she was seeing. Agreed. Pulled it off. We thought, because they don't show the viewer... The the mask early on. No, they don't. Well, we don't see we don't see the mask until we get to Perry's office. So right. So then we see Perry, and uh, guess what Perry's doing? Paper dolls. No, he's doing his <laughs> second favorite activity: <laughs> yelling at Jimmy for whatever Jimmy's done. He's been warned time and time again, and he's being warned for absolutely the last time. Absolutely the last, which it might be actually. No, he gets he, he gets yelled at in, uh, once in uh, all the glitters. Does he? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we don't know why, but we don't need to know why because because the guy in the lead mask is and because in, Perry's right? always yelling at Jimmy. So oh, I see where you're right. So meanwhile, we get a shot of Superman reminding us that he will be in this episode. Mm. And you know, like I said, I'm liking how we're seeing everything but his face. And then he comes into the planet, and we see his shoes. He's wearing some nice looking shoes mm-hmm. and, a, and a blue suit. And uh, then we get to see the lead mask. And we like this lead mask, don't we? Yes, sir. I will say this. Yes. This guy is going to die soon. Is he? Think of all that lead he's inhaling. Oh, right. right. But this, right. Was, be- this was before uh, we worried about such things. Right. So what does he tell them? We don't. I don't like you, and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yes. All of you. In very creative ways. Yeah. And the death of three people is going to bring the uh, Daily Planet to its knees. Or four people, rather. It's all four of them. Yeah. The planet could probably do without Jimmy. It would probably survive without Jimmy. Probably survive without any of them. Wouldn't they just get new reporters and editors? Yeah, you would think. But as far as right now, it's like... Yeah, yeah. it would be, it would be going, to the, going to the tank a little bit. So Yeah. So apparently the Daily Planet with Superman's help has uh, sent a bunch of his friends to jail, and he wants his revenge. I'm not sure how this gets revenge on Superman, but it gets rid of the Daily Planet people. Well, they're Soup's friends. Friends of Superman, put your life in jeopardy. Right. And uh, Jimmy points out that he'll see through the mask, and this is when we learn the mask is made out of lead. And uh, Lois points out that he'll knock it off, and he can't because it's locked, which I'm not buying. I mean, what's to stop Superman from kind of grabbing the guy by the head and kind of peeling that mask like an onion? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, there's several things wrong with this little area here, this little plot. The whole point of it being locked. Okay, so it's a lead mask that Superman can't see through. Now it's locked, so he can't take it off without killing the guy, theoretically. Neither, neither can they. Neither can they. How do these guys eat? Well, uh, and the other thing is, he says, what does he say about the key? <laughs> He's the only one with the key. He's the only one with the key. So why do you even have all those other guys walking around? Because, no, Superman might not be able to use X-ray vision to look through the lead mask. But he could certainly look in your pocket and see which one of you has the key. And what if you... Yeah, it's still in the top ten because of what... Here's another question. 
Yes. Okay, yes, you can't see through the lead mask. No. But you're not going to miss somebody walking around with that mask. No. I mean, if it's a guy walking around with a mask, you would almost have to arrest him for, or once he's actually committed a crime. Apparently, there's no crime uh, wearing a lead mask. But so he hasn't really kidnapped anybody yet. He's just announced that he's going to. Right. Is that a crime? I'm going to kidnap. I'm going to kill you. Well, there is, might, yeah, yeah, there is there a crime on the books called making terroristic threats. Yeah. So if somebody says they're going to kill you, hey, they're going to kill you. Call Bill Henderson in here. Right. And uh, take the guy in the lead mask. Yeah, there are some holes with the whole lead mask thing, but it's creepy and it looked cool. Yeah, and that's all. And that's really when you're a kid. That's all that matters. And that's it. Really, that's really me. I didn't. I didn't follow through. I don't think as a little kid. I think it was reruns as a teenager when when I when it first, when I first went. Oh, what an idiot! Well, that's dumb because you know X-ray vision pocket key. Or Superman could probably tell the difference right now, tune his ear to the heartbeat of that guy. And his heart will beat differently than the other guys. The modern, the comic book Superman, even of 1958, would use microscopic vision or something to at least look at the fingerprints and know what's going on. Well, He'd figure a way out just with the guy having a lead mask. I, I will say this, that if this Superman can tune his ears to... Professor Lenderstatch Whistle. He can. <laughs> yes. I'll thank you to stop spitting in my ear, please. <laughs> I'm sure he can. <laughs> I'm sure he can tune his hearing to this guy's voice. Yes. Yes. So there are many ways that Superman can figure out this guy and who he is and what's going on without the. None of which could bother, you know, you could just walk right up to him and rip that mask right off. Right. You know, so. But yeah, okay, we'll go along with the fact that it's a lead mask. Superman can't see through it. Oh, gee, by me locking it and putting the key in my pocket, he won't know that which one I am with all the other guys walking around with lead masks that don't have keys and are taller or shorter than me or... Other um, things. Yeah, well, <laughs> apparently he and his henchmen are the only two who actually do anything. Yeah. Maybe the other eight are designated decoys. They're just, they're just walking around wearing lead masks. They're just walking around. That's all they're supposed to do, walk around wearing lead masks. That's it. Terrorized people. Yes. I think there's actually laws now about adults uh, wearing masks. There are, and there are in some places, yeah. 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 So, okay. Anyway, he leaves, and... Uh, after after our friend in the lead mask leaves, uh, Perry is, is who was blustering at him while he was in the office. Mm-hmm. He seems he's a little more subdued now, and uh, now now that he's gone. But you know what? Our masked man, he loves gimmicks. <laughs> yes, he does. That's how you know you're over the top when you have to tell people that you love gimmicks. And he loves them. And the gimmicks are normally normally what. Do you in? What does Scotty say? The more complicated the plumbing, the easier it is to stuff up the drain? Yep. Or something like that. Something like that. <clears throat> Clark is standing outside the planet, just kind of doing his thing. I think he was going to try to follow the guy when he left, but... Then we see all the other guys. Yeah. I've counted, I counted at least six. And, you know, eventually we see a pedestrian a pedestrian come by and look kind of... Without a mask, yeah. Without a mask. I mean, actually, we saw one a little bit sooner. <laughs> You know, yeah. at least somebody kind of giving these guys a strange look. Right. By my count here, it looked like there were about six people. 
How they realized this, I don't know, but I'd have to look back and see if we see more than two in one shot at the same time. Yeah, I'll leave that to you. <clears throat> I've done, I've seen this show a zillion times, but I've never thought to actually, you know, stop and count. I've, I've thought to myself, gee, I wonder how many of them there actually are. But uh, you're right. I'm not sure we actually ever did see more than two at a time in one scene. And I wish I thought about and that while I was watching the episode. Yeah, because they walk off camera. And then come back. Somebody goes into the Daily Planet. Then another one comes out. Out, et cetera. Yeah. So one walks yeah. one way. One walks the other. Goes through the door. So Yeah, fun little trivia. There's at least four in one shot at the same time. Ooh, at least four in one shot at the same time. Right. So we'd have to assume that there are more than four. That can't be all of them. So that if there's at least four in one shot, it's all one take. So there are no cuts. Right. So, but you don't. You know, you don't see all the lead masks at once. But you see one guy walking off as the other one walks on, and at one point there's four of them. All right. So they, they made at least four lead masks. I think they made more than four because you see four and. At that second that there are four on screen, I think two had just walked off screen. Right. And they couldn't have been part of these four. So I think there's at least six. Well, I when I I did count them during the scene, and it seemed like there were at least... You were, it was made to look like there were at least six people there. Okay. Well, there's a mystery that almost never solved, and we almost never solved it either. I think that's a mystery that we just created. We did. <laughs> 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 right, right. <sighs> Somebody could probably write another book on all the crap we brought up. Yeah, easily. Just from watching, just from paying too much attention to these. But boy, I still love his boots. <sighs> the George Reed's red velvet boots. Yeah, they, they, they look good in this episode. Mm-hmm. The only complaint I have about this... Suede, not velvet, suede. The only complaint I do have about this, this suit, don't shoot it from below. You can mm, see the trunks no. coming out the top of his belt. Yeah. yeah his belt is not... kind of sagging a little bit. After the long, uh, insignificant moment of Clark watching the masked <laughs> men that we talked far too much about. But it's a really great sequence. Yeah, I liked it. But we probably And it really it. sets it up. It does. And, it, and again, from you know an 8 to 10-year-old watching this, uh, or younger even, the, the, this is a pretty spooky, suspenseful little episode. And these lead masks make it even a little more oh, yeah. spooky. And you know what? It's finally dawned on me watching it today. Probably because I'm looking at these with a little more of a of an eye than just sitting and watching them. Is the entire purpose of that sequence was probably so Clark couldn't follow them. Exactly. Because he comes exactly. out as if he's going to follow one, and then exactly. he stops because all of the others are there. Right. Nice. So they they give the impression that there's a lot of these guys walking around and that the other one you just talked to now has just slipped. He's gone. Right. So which one is it? You can't round them all up. Right. So this is where my point comes in. Now, Clark, use your x-ray vision and see which one has the key. Right. And he should, yeah. know, you would think he should know where the key is by now, because okay. apparently according to this next scene with Henderson, he x-rayed him to know that he has, no identification papers in his wallet. Exactly. They even tell you. Well, I used my x-ray vision to look and see the... Well, did you see the key? Well, he couldn't tell Henderson that he used x-ray vision. <laughs> That's true. And eventually, Henderson will tell the little box on his desk to round up uh, all of the uh, the men wearing <laughs> the lead masks. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Way to go, Bill. Clark, uh, 
Clark is worried, and you know what? I'm buying George Reeves' acting here. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. is worried. Mm-hmm. Perry's response. He's going to send Lois to Jimmy out of town. And I love that how despite all the abuse he takes from Perry, yeah. Jimmy is the one who decides they're not going. Yeah, showing exactly. his loyalty to Perry. Right. You know, Lo- Lois asks Perry where he's going to be while they're out of town. Jimmy's the one who says, yeah, well, that's us right here as usual. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the one that's the most scared. Yeah, exactly. And I think they all sell it. I think, you know, George sets the tone for this, both now we know as the director, which I probably wasn't paying a bit of attention to probably as a not. kid. He probably didn't even know what a director was back then. <clears throat> exactly. As a little kid, you're just watching the show. The names, you have no idea. They're just names. I don't know any of this. But I think George is setting the tone not only as the director, but uh, the actor in front of it. He, this is him really setting the, the, the tone and the speed and the pacing and the attitude for this whole episode. I'm glad you mentioned that and brought that out because uh, you're, you're just so right on. And as far as Clark goes, it's a different kind of worry because Perry, yes. Lois, and Jimmy, it's a lot of worry for self. They exactly. can't do anything to Clark. So Clark is worried about everybody else. As right. always. He knows that in the end they can't do anything to him. Right. That's why when his scene comes up towards the end, it's even so much, you know, more powerful. Right. So Clark's idea is to assign bodyguards to Perry Lois and Jimmy. And Henderson seems hesitant. Yeah, I thought that was the only, like, you know, a little bit of a misstep. But I guess they needed to write that for some well, reason. Well, you know, even, uh, okay, yes, he's great. Okay, he cites the law that requires permission. But even when Clark gives him the phone to call up and ask for permission... He still right. doesn't seem very excited about it. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah sure. It's like, he definitely didn't want to, and... He didn't see the lead masks. No. And we'll jump ahead just a little bit to when he talks to... Inspector talks to Jimmy. I wonder if he even asked Jimmy if he wanted a bodyguard. Nothing in Jimmy's side of the conversation seems to indicate that. Yeah, I don't know. That's I mean, Jimmy question. says sure at one point, but I'm not sure what he's saying sure to. Right. So, that's that. And it, but before that, though, what do you think of Jimmy's little performance? His... Perry White, I've had enough of you speech. Perry White? About enough out of you. I just, just enough. How do you like noise? You're going to look very funny in that loud press room, Perry White. Hide your aim. You good on a bicycle? You're going to be throwing papers. That's what throwing papers all over the block right. Uh, hello, uh, uh, Mr. White's office, Olson speaking. Oh, hi, Inspector. No, Mr. White and Miss Lane, they just left to go on a political luncheon. Sure, they were fine. Me? I'm okay, too. Who'd want to bother me? Sure, Inspector. Who'd want to bother me? Oh, it's it's terrific. It was just terrific. It was, you know, it was Jack Larson just doing his right. thing, man. It was, uh, you know, yeah, it was great. And, he, and a speech that you wouldn't expect. Right. Well, I think uh, we've all had, had a moment in our work life where we just wanted to tell off our boss. Right. And there's right. Jimmy. He'll never say this to Perry, but oh, of course it's not. fun seeing Jimmy not. do act out that little fantasy of telling off his boss. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think something you said earlier that nobody has played Jimmy Olsen or even given anywhere near uh, the credit or the, the has brought as much to Jimmy as Jack Larson did. 
they all concentrate now on all the other characters if they do. Jimmy is always now just a, an afterthought. So, and again here we're just seeing Jack Larson again do something, you know, like you say that everybody's wanted to right. do and then you watch Jack Larson do it and there's no doubt in your mind that's Jimmy Olsen right. wanting to tell off Perry right. White. Just to And also we've seen an entire series worth of Jimmy saying uh how he's done taking crap from Perry, and the minute Perry walks in, walks in the room, <laughs> right. right? He is yes, sir, yes, sir. And he's put his. We've seen him put his feet up on yep. the desk. We've seen him in Perry's, you know, chair with his feet up on the desk, right. acting the big shot as Perry walks in, and then no longer. But it is amusing, kind of, uh, and, um, and it's an amusing image of John Hamilton on a bicycle throwing newspapers. If you can <laughs> right. picture that in your head. <laughs> right. Make him wear long johns. <laughs> they have to be red, though. Red, yeah. So Lois and Perry get in the car, and they go to their little luncheon. And, well, they, they don't get there. They have to, instead of making a right, they have to make a left to go to the shack that all the criminals in the show use. <laughs> Just make, make a left. It's right there in front of the matte painting. <laughs> so Perry is coaxed into giving directions. I'm not sure how he didn't notice this microphone behind him. Yeah, I think that's it's almost like in a comic book where they show us something hidden beside something and the main guy doesn't see it. Right. They just had to show us and again, we're pretending but Perry would have seen yeah. that. Would have seen all of that. So but But Perry was acting kind of, you know, smarty pants. I can't think of another <laughs> word. <laughs> that doesn't get a word as any. <laughs> well, well, he got his well why not? What are they gonna do? Kill him? That's what they're gonna do anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I would say, Olsen, get in your car. <laughs> and it was great. That's a good scene. Yeah. yeah and then they uh, so and then they eventually show him the recorder. And look, I love the look on Perry's face. He's pissed. Yep. Yeah. And this is an amazingly high quality uh, copy for 1950s technology, mm-hmm. especially for a portable tape right. recorder like that. Yeah. Jimmy heard no static on his end of the phone, apparently. No. Well, of course, now, coming over the phone, it probably did sound pretty close to what you would have gotten over the phone uh, in 1958. It probably did, but it wouldn't have sounded that good coming out of the speaker on the uh, player. Probably not. But you could have... It was not unusual for poor quality sound, though. So it it can almost be... You wouldn't think twice about it on the other end, other than the fact that uh, sounding a little weaker than normal but this had it sounding right. perfect so, so so what do so, you think of jimmy's ability to take uh, down directions uh pretty quick and pretty good i'd have been at least a few times uh what was that yeah i was hold up yeah, say that again just... yeah but he just apparently it must be the uh, reporter learning how to write really fast as maybe that's one of the lessons as a cub reporter for the last six years well, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> that, if the phone uh, was, the phone the phone call was over and he was still writing he was still writing. And That's still true. remembered it all. Well, way to go, James. He even wrote down the first house you come to. <laughs> all right. So back to uh, back to Henderson and Clark. Uh, Clark is still uh, kind of uh, just kind of sitting there. Clark is now depressed because he can't get Jimmy on the phone. Ironically, he just missed Jimmy by about 20 seconds, if that. TV timing. Yep. So Jimmy leaves the shot and the phone rings and it's a nice shot on the phone in the empty chair. Yep. So now somehow Clark Henderson knows that they never made the lunch and they must have called the place and checked. You had a landline at one point, yes, right? Yes, I did. Okay. I just want to make sure you're not that old or that young. Not young, I guess. 
to not remember landlines. I remember rotary phones. Okay, good. My grandmother had one. Good. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I used to like playing with the dial on the phone. I, I yeah. I remember as a kid, we even had a party line that uh, you would get different right. rings. A ring where it was uh, two short and one long. Ring, ring, ring. That was that was our party line ring. If that rang, we knew it was ours. I would answer even as a little kid to the others, and the others would start to know you as a little kid. Bobby, I know you're there. You can hang up now. Okay, I'll, bye. I'll do you one better. I even remember phones with wires. Phones with wires. They all had wires. Yeah, I've, got, <laughs> I've got one on my desk at work that I can't, I can't wander away too far from the phone because I'll pull it off the desk. Absolutely. Phones, yeah, you can't just go anywhere. You had to, Usually in most people's homes, you had one phone in one location, and everybody used that phone. Yeah. It was right there, right over there. It wasn't all that long. No, nah, it wasn't. My parents still have a landline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do not have a landline no, anymore. We, we, we don't. We don't either. Not not at this place. I wasn't paying for it. Basically, yeah. Clark is now going to put his new plan into action, which is basically he's going to fall into their trap. Yeah. So at least he'll be taken to the crooks. Right. And we're going to find out that uh, the criminals it's are a good plan. Are step ahead of the police. Yes, but it's a good plan. So Clark is captured, and pay attention to the line. When I'm done, even Superman wouldn't know you. That kind of gives you a clue that he's planning to do something horrible to Clark's body horrible not going to just try to knock him out and push him out of an airplane as has been tried you can't kill clark kent by pushing him out of an airplane (sighs) when will they learn they're one step ahead they're going to leave in the helicopter because they assumed that clark brought the police with him that was me doing a helicopter sound (laughs) it was a very good helicopter sound well thank you very much so they, they go to where they're going. They're going to a little factory here, and they got Clark dangling over a vat of acid, mm. which it's a great is a scene. great scene. It's a just, just a great scene. And which uh, gives our villains a chance to monologue. Mm-hmm. And they love monologuing. Well, since you're not going to be alive anyway because you're going to get eaten by the acid, I'll tell you exactly where everybody else is and when they're about to you die. You know, if these guys had mustaches, they'd be twirling them. Yes, they would. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, they would definitely be doing some wh- snidely whiplashing. Yeah. So what do you call uh-huh. it when two guys monologue at the same time? Yeah, because it's not, it's a, not dialogue. a dialogue. They're, they're not, not talking, talking to, to right. each other. They're just both monologuing. Yeah, I don't know. A duet? Yeah, a double monologue. <laughs> right. Well, it's kind of a dialogue, too, because Clark is talking a little bit. That's but true. They are, well, Clark, but Clark is just kind of uh, spitting out uh, platitudes. Like, right. you'll never get away with it. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's horrible. Oh, no, that's terrible. That's horrible. horrible. He does a good job here pretending to yeah. be scared. You don't really mm-hmm. see this Clark pretend to be scared all that much. Even no. though even though everybody's always saying that he's afraid of everything. And that's got to be a little uncomfortable. I don't know where, if he's actually being held up or tied up, you know, anywhere other than, but him having to hold himself up or being tied at the, however he's being hangle, hanged up there, dangling. That's not comfortable. No, your arms will get tired eventually. They will get tired if he's not being held up by uh, something else, you know, uh, at the way, like a flying wires or something. If he's not, if he's only being held up like what it appears to be. Okay, do we honestly believe that's George Reeves hanging up there? That is another question. Because I the think shot, the shot of him yeah, over the acid, you never see his face. 
Right. So I'm not the long shots. You don't see his face, and the close-ups, you don't see his feet or his arms. Well, you, you see his upper half, and not his lower half. Right, but you don't. He could be standing there for right, all that exactly. on a stool. He could be standing there with his arms up above his head. Right. Exactly. So, you know, that's the other point I was going to say is that if it's George hanging there, that's a lot of strength it takes to hang there while you're having the scenes act out. Or is it a stuntman doing most of these long shots where George is standing on a chair or a stool or something while they hold his arms up? And how many long shots is that really? It could be the same shot all times. The, the dial, you can't see these guys' mouths move, so... The dialogue doesn't right. have to match. Exactly. Not that this exactly. show always worries about that. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm not sure that's George hanging up there. They're probably doing some other trick to make it look like it's George in the close-ups. But. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's George uh, for the long shots. You could ask Jim Nolt. Jim will probably know. But these guys are very confident. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing they didn't try to kill everybody simultaneously, which might have been a better idea. Yeah. Yeah, but they had it timed so that the train hits as the saw hits, as the car goes off, as you fall into the acid. And you know what? There is a problem with their logic of getting away in the helicopter. Yeah. Putting aside the fact that Clark is Superman. Right. Why couldn't Superman follow a helicopter? Oh, yeah. Superman could follow the helicopter. I mean, but it's more important to, you know, like they say, you can't follow my helicopter and save all these people at the same time. But how do they even know that Superman has been told yet? How do they know that he hasn't? Well, that's what I'm saying. How, do, how They have no idea of what, what where uh, Superman is at this right. point. Right. And isn't that their plan, though? What is the plan? Is their plan just to kill all four of them? Or, you know, did they steal something and now they're doing this to get away? They seem to have no plan other than to kill... Un- other than to kill them. For what they, purpose? Well, revenge. Against Superman or the Daily Planet. Both. Because Superman and the planet have kind of worked in tandem to... Okay. Well, they still then have if no you're plan a crook for trying to pull something off... Well, see, that's my question. If you're a crook trying to pull something off in Metropolis, shouldn't step one be, what do I do when right. Superman shows up? And apparently they have no plan for... What if now someone has told Superman of our plan and he's on the way to save Jimmy and Lois and Perry and ha 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 Clark? Right, and you know, how do they know Superman's not right outside listening to their monologue? Exactly. They don't. So, but we right. still let it go anyway because the tension is building up. They're getting away in their helicopter. Clark is about to go right. down into the acid. All right, here's Clark going down into the acid. Which I think is interesting that he's the last one they captured. And the first one they kill. But the first one they kill. And the timing is that he dies, then the next one, then the next one. They're all timed at separate intervals instead of, like you said, simultaneously. Okay, so how much do these guys see? How much do they what? Do they actually see Clark go into the acid all the way? No. I don't know. That's interesting. I thought that too. Are they leaving before he hits the acid at all? Because he would have been in pain, if he's not Superman, pretty quickly. So I think they left before he dipped his little toes in there at all. We are going to talk about their conversation in the jail. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So they do imply later that they, in the jail, that they saw Clark go in. They clearly did not see Superman come out. Right. So I see what you're saying because of their dialogue at the end. And where the guy says, well, I don't want to talk about it. Right, but he does say that they saw Clark go into the acid. Right. And then he says, but we didn't, and then he's cut off. 
but we'll get to that. Okay. Superman comes okay. out of the acid. He does a nice thing with his head to get the get his hair out of his face as he yeah he flips it as he comes out of there. Shows his hair is really long but combed back. Right. Then we get a couple of establishing shots of uh, mm-hmm. Lois tied to the railroad tracks, and I'm not exactly sure how you tie someone to the railroad tracks, but that's neither here <laughs> nor there. Perry is tied up to a log in front of a buzzsaw. That's a little more straightforward. Yeah. And uh, there he goes at 3 p.m. Superman bursts through the wall and does something to the buzzsaw. I don't know what. No, no, he gets close enough to it that the outside goes away. Right. The teeth go away. The cardboard teeth that were on the thing. You know, the, uh, the synopsis said that he let it hit his chest, but there was no way George Reeves was close enough to that thing for it to hit his chest. No, he didn't. it didn't hit his chest, but that was the impression they were trying to give, that yeah. he got into it, it hit him and bounced and broke. Right, so, alright, so that's what happens. Right. So, Perry, they were trying. Perry is rescued, so Superman is now on his way to Lois. Yes, on the way to Lois. Oh, be, 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 hang on, before that, we're still, I'm still in the, uh, in the, with Perry. That's all one take. With him crashing through the wall, running over to the to the buzzsaw, uh, buzzsaw and it busting apart. That that and until he leaves, that yeah. whole thing is one take. One take. Yep. Don't know how many times he did it, but I would bet not many. I'm bop at once. Yeah, you're probably right. Because nailed it the first time because he had to crash through a wall, run over, and uh, which is probably why they kept it, even though he didn't make any real physical contact with the cardboard. Right saw but even if he had i'll bet even if it's cardboard or whatever that material was if that had hit him at full speed oh it, 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 it that would have that would have left a mark <laughs> so you know but yeah that was pretty yeah, cool I, I always thought maybe he maybe he blew on it oh i see yeah i i considered that too but he doesn't show that it doesn't doesn't no, look he like kinda stood, he just kind of stood there and it broke yeah <laughs> so i'm going for the they were giving the impression that it broke on his body so now he goes off to uh, to save Lois, and this I like the way this is edited between the stock shots of the train, yeah, yeah. and the uh, studio footage of uh, him t- untying her from the railroad tracks. You never see them and the train in the same shot, but they do a good job of simulating the train train's motion with, uh, yeah, the sand blowing up. Yeah, it's a good rescue. It's a really really good it rescue. Is. Even though you never see the train at them together no. you get the feeling that the train is coming mm-hmm. so that was well edited and you know years ago my mother pointed out during a viewing of this episode that nobody asks about clark hmm. but i guess when you think about it they don't have a reason to did they even know he was uh they, they, i don't even think they knew he was captured yeah why would they even know right so they really have no reason to ask right but good catch anyway though so here's the bit that we all love <laughs> jimmy <laughs> Yeah. yeah poor jimmy you know i love that little shot that you get of i guess that's the ro- car's rotor falling apart the smoke and from the acid oh yeah yeah but the the stuff of jimmy in the car is just priceless it's just the, it's just the best just the best and uh the cuts to the floors and the pedal in his shoes right. and the take and the steering wheel all of it it's just it's just great jimmy once the steering wheel falls off, it becomes gold because you see him trying to put the wheel back on. Right. Right. In a way, Jimmy really saved himself. Superman was late. Right. Yeah, Superman was too late. He did not make it. Mm. Superman pulled him up off the cliff, but Superman didn't get there in time to save him from the car going 
all over the side of the cliff. Had Jimmy not jumped out, Superman would not have been able to save Jimmy. He was too late getting there. Yeah, so. That's kind of glossed over, but. Yeah. But still, scene worked. Great for Jimmy to do that. And Jimmy is the one that could have done that. They and couldn't Jimmy's have put the... Perry or Lois in the car. No. And this scene worked the same way. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked with anybody other than Jimmy. Because exactly. the, whole bit, the whole bit with the steering wheel wouldn't have worked with Perry. <laughs> exactly. Perry might have just flung it out the window like a Frisbee. <laughs> so, but can so you whatever. see Lois or Perry jumping out of a moving car? Not, no, not, they're not Lois. Not in those mm, heels. No, exactly. Wouldn't happen. So Very good. So uh, Superman so. does get there in time to pull him up off the cliff. Yeah, he does. He, which I don't think Jimmy was going to be able to pull himself off pull himself up by himself so right. eventually he would have uh right plunged to his death so superman does save jimmy does save him but if jimmy doesn't save himself from the cars mm-hmm. superman getting there doesn't matter so superman maybe you shouldn't have bs with lois as long as you did before <laughs> leaving <laughs> just saying <laughs> i would have loved to have seen superman capture the bad guys mm. but i guess at, i guess at this point we've seen that a million times right Right. I think the super rescues kind of make up for it. Oh, the super rescue makes up for it. That becomes the real deal. And the police do their job. Henderson right. says, just just go get me all the lead mask guys. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I you know, I agree. I think that the, the rescue, the, the whole triple threat, quadruple threat, really, if Clark and Superman were different guys. Right. Um, was just a good idea, and it was played from the old timey movie serials, and it was just it was just a lot of fun. It was just great, great episode because it does harken back to one of the earlier seasons, the first or second season, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Just a really, really good one. All right, just one more thing we need to talk about. Oh yeah, we need to get back to the jail. the guys in the jail. The guys in jail. Yeah. Don't even mention that again. Don't even think it. Nobody would right. believe it. Right. What do you think they're talking about? I think they are. I think now that you mention it. Do they know? Uh, I think they think they know. Right. I think they think they know. But I don't think, like you, that they actually saw Superman come out. They're just piecing it together with the fact that they're saying they think they saw Kent go in the acid. And how is he still alive? The only way they can imagine that is if... He is Superman, and that's how he went and knew about where the other ones were, right. is that Kent is Superman. But nobody would believe us, so don't say anything. Oh, right. And you see, this could be the beginning of a plot that would come back later. If this was a modern show going on now, and we just finished season six, and we're going into season seven, in season seven or eight, right. these guys would get out somehow. Right. And And... Would carry on and try to then put back together the puzzle based on the fact that they think they know that Kent is Superman. And who knows? Maybe had the series continued, they might have picked up on this. But, you know, we this, don't know. This ending reminds me of the animated series episode, The Late Mr. Kent, where Clark is thought to have died in a car going off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And at the, at the very end scene, he's about to be executed. The criminal is saying, well, how did he survive that? Mm. Stands up. He's Superman. And then it gets gassed. Ooh. I don't remember somebody getting gassed in the Superman the Animated yeah, Series. Yeah, that was he. He would, he got the death penalty. Wow. Who'd he kill? I should I should know that off the top of my head, but he... What's the name of the episode? The Late Mr. Kent. The Late Mr. Kent. All right, I'm going to have to pop that in and take it. Well, I got the DVD. I'll have to pop that in and 
That sounds like an interesting episode that I don't remember. You Why don't what? I remember? I should really know that episode better because I call that my favorite episode. Wow. I, I, and I, I need to go back and look at that. The guy wow. stands up at the end, says, he's Superman, and then he dies. And did anybody hear him say it? No, he, he gave the impression that he was in a soundproof room. Oh, oh, in the gas chamber. In the gas chamber. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to look that one up. Good, good. I look forward to that. All right, so when we take a break, we'll play a promo. Then we'll come back with All That Glitters, the series finale of The Adventures of Superman. Hang around, folks. On Saturday, June 17th, podcasters from the DCTV Podcast Network are gathering together for our third annual live charity fundraising event. This year, we'll be raising money for the World Wildlife Fund, the world's leading conservation organization that works in 100 countries to protect endangered species and critical habitats. If you'd like to donate and be entered into a raffle to win prizes, head over to www.worldwildlife.org slash go to slash DCTV podcasts and make sure to listen on June 17th at mixler.com slash DCTV podcasts. All right. Welcome back, folks. Here it is. The series finale of the Adventures of Superman. All that glitters. All that glitters. Original broadcast date was April 28th, 1958. I hope. Writers yeah. were Robert Leslie Bellum and Whitney Ellsworth. Director was George Reeves. George Reeves. Right. Yes. You could have almost Directed. you could have almost put George Reeves down as a guest star in this episode. Yeah, he's in it for like two minutes. Guest cast included Phil Teed as Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle. Welcome back, Professor yes. Pepperwinkle. Len Hendry as Nick Mitchell. Jack Littlefield as Elbows Logan. Dick Elliott as Mr. Goldby. Myrna Fahey as Miss Dunn, George Eldridge as John Salem, and Paul Cavanaugh as Delbert Carter. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Your number one Superman fan site in the world. And that is the last time you'll have to say that. I know, it's sad. This is, this is, a, this is an bittersweet. episode of lasts. It is. All right, so... Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle is at it again. This time he's created a machine that can transform any metal into gold. This, this pound of gold I made in my laboratory. Gold? You made it? Astonishing, isn't it? Just think, ever since medieval times, the alchemists and scientists have been trying to transmute base metal into gold. <laughs> and I'm the first one who ever found how to do it. I still can't bring myself to believe it. Oh, it's gold, all right. You tested it yourself with acid a few minutes ago. Pure 24-carat gold. But uh, you didn't say how you made it. Uh, now, now, Mr. Carter. <laughs> a professional secret, you know. <laughs> but how do we know you didn't just go someplace and buy that? Oh, I can vouch for the professor, gentlemen. While he's invented some strange things in the past, they've always worked. And I've never known him to tell a falsehood. Ken's right about that. If Professor Pepperwinkle said he made that bar of gold, you can depend on it. He really made it. Well, I guess there's no doubt of it. But tell me, Professor, how long did it take you? Oh, not very long. After all, I only made this one pound. More than $500 worth of gold, and he acts as though it didn't amount to a hill of beans. Professor, could you make more of that? Oh, tons of it. That is, if I had enough raw material, scrap iron and various other ingredients. <laughs> no trouble at all. 
Mr. White, this is the most alarming invention I've ever heard of. If he starts making gold by the ton, do you realize what will happen to this country's economy? Why, our monetary system would be shattered and Fort Knox would become a, a ghost town. Not only that, it would destroy the international banking structure and throw world trade into a panic. That's why I ask you gentlemen to this conference. When the professor told me about making this gold, I realized it could ruin the nation. And you wouldn't want that to happen, would you, Professor? Oh, gracious goodness, no. Imagine turning uh, Fort Knox into a ghost town. Oh, Diddy, that would be dreadful. It sure would. Professor, for the good of the United States... For the good of the entire world... We must ask that you forget this invention. And promise never to use it again. They're absolutely right, Professor. You mustn't make any more gold. Well, all right, if you say so. Uh, I won't make another bit. Good, good, good. Uh, now, gentlemen, if you'll excuse us, we have an appointment. Sorry, I have to get back you, to Washington. Goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye, gentlemen. Thank you for your courtesy. Thank you so much for coming. And remember, I don't want one word of this to leak out. And that goes double for you, Mr. J. Blabbermouth Holson. Oh, cross my heart, Chief. I won't spill a word. However, J. Blabbermouth Holson, as Perry has nicknamed him, has unwittingly spilled the beans. As he, Lois, and Professor Pepperwinkle have lunch, Jimmy talks about the gold-making apparatus. Gangsters Nick Mitchell and Elbows Logan are sitting in the diner booth behind them, and they have heard the entire conversation. Elbows and Nick have given Professor Pepperwinkle an ultimatum. Why, Mr. Mitchell here's got one of the kindest hearts you've ever seen, Professor. If I was to shoot you right now, he'd be terrible sore at me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm certainly glad to hear that. But sore or no sore, I'm gonna plug you, unless you make us a batch of gold. Now, now, Elbows, take it easy. We don't want to be greedy about it. All we want is, say, a couple of tons. A couple of tons? Why, that's over uh, $2 million worth. We'd be satisfied with that. With $2 million, me and Elbows could live like millionaires. Without it, you might not live at all. I won't do it. I refuse. You're pretty fond of that uh, young reporter on the planet. Uh, now, let me see. What is his name? Uh... Oh, uh, Jimmy Olsen. Surely you wouldn't harm him or, or Miss Lane. Well, uh, we wouldn't want anything to happen to him. But I am afraid their health might take a sudden turn for the worse if you don't make that gold for us. Well, what do you say? I say this is blackmail. Call out whatever you like. Well... I can't let anything happen to those two young people on my account, can I? Of course you can. And I don't suppose a mere two million dollars would upset the uh, economy of the world, even if we're, we're in gold, would I? No, no, it wouldn't. Of course it wouldn't. Well, then I guess I'll have to do it. Now you're talking, Professor. Yeah, but I'll have to have raw materials, scrap iron and various other ingredients. It'll, uh, it'll, it'll all cost money. Don't worry your head about it. Here. Here's 10,000 bucks. Buy whatever you need. Ooh, 10,000 bucks. Are you sure you can afford it? You make me $2 million worth of gold and there'll be plenty more where that came from. When will the stuff be ready? Well, I can't make uh, two tons overnight. The machine will only turn out about uh, 10 pounds a day. How much is that in cash? Uh, let's see, that's a gammer. That's, that's a little over $5,600. Almost $6,000 a day. Wow. That will be quite satisfactory. We will be back the same time tomorrow to pick up the first batch. And something better be ready, understand? Yes, indeed. 
Before leaving to cover a convention out of town, a worried Clark Kent, who'd rather keep an eye on Professor Pepperwinkle, gives a vague message from the absent-minded scientist to Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. The professor tells them not to worry. He will take care of everything. This makes both Lois and Jimmy more curious. They decide to visit the eccentric inventor. Well, Miss Lane! Mr. Olsen! <laughs> Come right in! Come in! I don't want you to worry about a thing. No cause for alarm. Everything's going to be quite all right. I'm not the least bit upset, and there's no danger apparent. And I have no intention of going back in my promise to the Secretary of the Treasury. Oh, Professor. Uh, they've been here. Who's been here, Professor? Uh, two men with guns. And they want you to make some gold for them. Two million dollars worth. Uh, how did you know? Oh, it figures. Somebody must have had a big mouth. And, uh... I guess I know who that big mouth is. You? Me. Those two guys in that next booth. Uh, don't worry about it, Mr. Olsen. <laughs> they're never going to get the gold. But you said they have guns, so obviously they're dangerous men, Professor. Well, I'm sometimes a dangerous man myself, Miss Lane. <laughs> Although you might not think it to look at me. Let's not be silly about this. The first thing we've got to do is get Superman right on the job. No, no, no. Don't bother about him. Don't bother about that. Now, I, here, I want, to, I want to show you something. Uh, just uh, here. Yeah, here. Just uh, look up there. Do you see those two uh, sandbags? Well, that's another one of my inventions. I call it the automatic crookstopper. Uh, you see, when my two guests arrive tomorrow for their first batch of gold, I simply, oh, I just maneuver them into this position. Right under the sandbags, huh? Exactly. And then... Isn't this uh, sort of Rube Goldbergish? Exactly. <laughs> but effective. And while they're completely unaware of their peril, I simply... Press them. Jimmy, are you all right? Oh, I guess so. Oh, dear, how, how can I ever forgive myself? Oh, it's okay, Professor. Does it hurt, Jim? Only when I breathe. <sighs> No, Professor, what about those crooks that are forcing you to make the gold? Well, it's uh, not important, really. Not important? But we've got to get in touch with Superman. No, we won't need him. We don't need him? No. You see, I've made a, an amazing discovery. Oh, no, not another one. Yes, Miss Lane, I've discovered what gives Superman his superpowers. You what? have? Yes, indeed. Now, we know that Superman originally came here from the planet Krypton before it exploded, right? Yes. We also know that the explosion scattered billions of particles of the element kryptonite in outer space. Sure, and kryptonite's the only thing that can take away Superman's superpowers. It's just a good thing that practically none of it landed on the Earth, or he'd be in a bad way. Yeah, he certainly would. <laughs> well, it just so happens I accidentally discovered a supply of it right in my backyard. You did? Yes. And when I put it through some scientific tests, what do you suppose I discovered? It's actually made up of two different kinds. Kryptonite positive and kryptonite negative. What do you know about that? And I also found out that it's negative kryptonite that's capable of harming Superman. And do you know why? Because he's charged with positive kryptonite. Then it's the positive kryptonite that gives him his superpowers. Yes, and the negative kryptonite destroys those powers because it neutralizes his positive charge. Well, that figures. 
Well, what good is it to know all this? I mean, of what use is it? Oh, it has a great deal of use, Miss Lane. Here, let me show you something. Now, you see this, uh, this machine right here? Well, this, uh, this separates uh, positive kryptonite from negative kryptonite. It destroys the negative kind, which is harmful to Superman, and it purifies the positive kind. Now, let me show you. Now, these tablets are positive-type kryptonite in pure form. If a person swallows one of these, he'll be just like Superman and can do anything he can do. Have you taken any of them? <laughs> oh, dear, no, no. It wouldn't be scientific for a scientist to experiment on himself. Well, then, how do you know it works? I'll show you. <laughs> Come on, little boy. Come on, here. Come on. That's right. Now, I fed this little mouth. Stop that. I fed this little mouse a hundredth of a milligram of kryptonite. <laughs> now watch. changed a regular mouse into a super mouse. Golly, Miss Lane, if we took those kryptonite pills, we could capture those two crooks as easily as Superman. And just think, what a way to get stories. If a tip came in, bingo, we'd fly there to cover it. And Clark Kent could never scoop us again. Then, then you'll, uh, you'll try them? Well, didn't hurt the mouse. How can it hurt us? feel anything to you? Frankly, no. Well, here, here. Uh, see, uh, see if you can bend this. Oh, golly. Here, you try it. Oh, well, for goodness sake. Well, tell me, Professor, do you know where the two crooks have their hideout? I don't know anything about them, except they gave me a $10,000 expense money. $10,000? Golly. See that a minute. They're all new bills, Jimmy, and with a bank wrapper still on them. Well, that's nice. But what difference does it make how old they are? It might make a lot of difference. It says First National Bank. We better pay them a visit. Why don't we fly there? How else? Uh, the door's over there, Mr. Olson. This way's better. <laughs> How do you like that? Just like Superman. Come on, Miss Lane! Having recognized the serial numbers on the money given to Professor Pepperwinkle, Lois and Jimmy have flown to the Fifth National Bank. Bank President Mr. Goldby and his secretary, Miss Dunn, Tell them that $10,000 was withdrawn yesterday by a notorious gangster. This leads the pair of super-powered reporters to the Acme warehouse, where X-ray vision reveals Nick Mitchell and Elbow Logan are about to leave to get their first batch of gold from the professor. Lois kicks in the door and the bullets bounce off Jimmy. A punch in the stomach then leaves Elbow and Nick incapacitated and ready for the police. Professor Pepperwinkle has set the sandbag trap in his automatic crook stopper as Jimmy and Lois return to his lab. Once again, the cub reporter's been hit on the head. Oh, this is terrible. Are you all right? What? 
What's that? Is your head all right? Does it hurt, Jimmy? My head? Oh. oh, it's okay, I guess. But what happened? Help me get my Jack. I remember. I got conked on the head by these sandbags. What did you rig up the sandbags again for when we already captured those two crooks? What are you talking about, Jimmy? We didn't capture any crooks. Well, sure we did. Don't you remember? We, we, we took those kryptonite pills that made us just like Superman. Kryptonite? What kryptonite? The ones you invented. I didn't invent any kryptonite. Sure you did. And then we crashed through this wall over here. Well, it's all fixed up. How did you repair it so quickly? Well, I didn't need you. It, it didn't need it. You never crashed through the wall. Well, I did, too. Just like this, I'll show you. Well, maybe the pill is wearing off. Jim, we didn't take any pills. You mean that we didn't bend that iron bar and, and fly through the air like Superman? We got here just a few minutes ago. The sandbag fell down, knocked you unconscious, and we've been trying to bring you to ever since. Getting hit in the head must have given you hallucinations. You must have been dreaming. I can't believe it. Oh, no. I thought we left you two tied up at the warehouse. This guy isn't thinking very clear, boss. Tie him up. All right, Professor. Where's our first batch of gold? Oh, I haven't made it yet. Uh, I figured my sandbags would knock you out and, and I wouldn't have to. Well, you figured wrong. Now, get busy and start making that gold, otherwise it's going to be very unhealthy around here for your friends. Yeah, real unhealthy. Oh, dear, dear. Well, then I guess I have no choice. That you haven't. Now, get busy and start making that gold. This time we're going to watch you. All right, all right, if you insist. To make $5,000 in gold, $10,000 in platinum is needed. Pepperwinkle is now tied up with Lois and Jimmy as the two criminals prepare dynamite to blow up the laboratory. Meanwhile, Clark Kent has returned to the Daily Planet offices saying that he can get another flight for the convention he must cover tomorrow. Superman has arrived in time to hurl Nick's dynamite into Professor Pepperwinkle's gold machine, destroying it beyond repair. The Man of Steel unties Lois, leaving her to free the Professor and the unconscious Jimmy. Nick and Elbows don't stand the chance, for Superman has captured them and brought them to justice. Afterwards, Professor Pepperwinkle... Lois and Jimmy recount to editor Perry White and Clark Kent their adventure. I did not faint. I was just so tired from doing all those Superman stunts in that dream I had that I, I fell asleep. <laughs> I did. Well, anyway, Superman captured the crooks, and the good professor here isn't going to make any more gold at three times what it's worth. No, indeedy. <laughs> I certainly won't. <laughs> well, now that that's settled, suppose you two go out and start writing the story for the next edition. Including my dream? Definitely. Not. Let's face it, Jimmy, like I said, none of us will ever be able to do the things Superman does. I guess not. But golly, Mr. Kent, you'll never know how wonderful it is to be like Superman. No, Jimmy, I, I guess I never will. So, Bob, what do you think of this one? This is my favorite color episode. <laughs> no, it's not. No. No. Next, you know, tell me you own the there... Hobbs Bay Bridge. Yeah. But you know there at the end when when um, Clark says that little line, no, I guess I never will. It's weird. You almost believe that's really Superman making that little joke. Right. And so he's well, so good. Is. I know. But George Reeves himself, he's just so. He sells it. Is, is, he does. He just sells it. Even in the little last closing minute of the show right there, it's. It's just so good. No, overall, it's a goofy episode. It's a 
it gives uh, Jack and Noel a chance to get on the pan and fly and, uh, right. you know, to do Superman. You know, I think it's it's too bad that it, to be honest, is that this is the last one instead of, like, next to last. I wish they had flipped the last right. two. End on the cliffhanger type episode. Or in the, it wasn't a real cliffhanger, but the... No, and on the perils of Superman instead of this one. But at the time, you know, they're... They didn't they're, know. You know, they didn't know. They the, the show had been renewed for another season. They were... Scripts were being written. Um, stuff was going to happen. You know, I guess by the time this aired, I think John Hamilton may have died shortly after this aired. Because uh, John Hamilton died. Sure. When did he die? In nineteen in October of nineteen fifty eight. I want to say was it October? I could. All right, and this came out in April. So okay, six months away or so. John Hamilton died right. October fifteenth, nineteen fifty eight. Okay, so he died in during the off season of this. Yes. But they would have probably been in production had the show been renewed. They probably would have been in production by uh, October. Well, wasn't the show renewed late? Yes, it was. When did they do that? When would they renew those? Well, George died in 1959. Right. The show had been renewed by the time he died. They already had early scripts, and he was looking at – he was going to direct – more of them. Right. George died in, on June 16, 1959. Right, the summer. So, so yeah, there probably wasn't going to be a, another season until at least 1960 had he lived. Right, because if they hadn't started shooting by June of 69, shooting would have started in September of 69, uh, 59, rather. That's uh, which, interesting. Yeah, it would have been late, 13 episodes. So it would have come out in probably January, February of 60. Which makes me think that after this season, contracts were up. Probably. And maybe, uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? It's, it's, wow, so much. So many questions. Right. But, um, yeah, it is just too bad. I mean, it's, it, it is, this one's kind of a fun little goofy episode. It's, t- it's the typical Professor Pepperwinkle episode. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's typical. You're right. It's a typical, it's topsy turvy. It's, uh, what was it? A couple of the other ones. But yeah, yeah, it's very typical Pepper, the forget me spray. Yeah, the big uh, forget. Big forget. So yeah, several of those typical. And I don't have a real problem with it. It's not like, oh, this sucks. I hate it. This is it. No. But this is one probably that people use to make fun of the show. And the fact that Superman himself is not in it might take a more away from that, more points away. Right. Well, but I think of, you're right. I think your assessment, it's, you're, it's a very typical Professor Pepperwinkle episode. Uh, it's just too bad it had to be the last one. Right. I mean, and, you know, this is the episode that, you know, where Jimmy kind of gets to live every kid's fantasy. Lois, too, to some extent. What's it like to be if to, to be Superman? Jimmy gets that. Jimmy gets that, exactly. If this were done in the comic book, which it was, not exactly, but uh, there were many stories where Jimmy and Lois got powers. Right. Uh, and they always put a costume on. I think that would have been fun. You know, it would have been too expensive for them to make two superhero costumes for this episode. Right. But I think that would have been a lot of fun to see them in some sort of superhero costumes for their bit. I think that would have been fun. Yeah. So this is an episode I'd seen since I was a kid. I had this one on, on VHS. Right. Because it was on one of those VHS volumes with Superman on Earth. Obviously, what they did was the first and the last episode of the series, which was this right. I mean, it's a goofy episode. It's a fun little episode, but it's nowhere near one of their best. Mm-mm. 
No. I don't think anybody will try to put this up there as one of the best. It's memorable, <laughs> it's memorable because it's the last. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even say it was my favorite without laughing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I could not deliver the line seriously. You like this more than the Evil 3, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this blows the Evil 3 right out of the water, man. And Crime Wave, don't get me started. Yeah, panic in the Sky. <laughs> panic in the Sky, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. All the glitters, yeah, that's the yeah. one. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's get into this, shall we? <laughs> if you say so, it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> Before we rag on it too much. Right. So here is Professor Pepperwinkle showing off the gold that he made. And here we got these two uh, guys. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Look at this. I made this. You tested it yourself with acid a few minutes ago. You know, you know it's gold. He's going to destroy the world with this machine. Economies will collapse. The free market will die. Mm. Because the absent-minded professor here made some gold. Yeah. Yeah, I think they overreacted. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering by this time the uh, the U.S. has been off the gold standard for about 25 years. Yeah, but gold still is gold, man. People, yeah. you know, even today, you see it today. Gold, got to have gold. Prepare for the dystopian future that's coming. Gold, your paper money will be worthless. You better have a garage full of gold. Is gold gonna be gonna be worth anything in the in the dystopia? Who knows? You'll you know. have to tell my ghost. <laughs> You know, You're young enough. You'll be here for the dystopia. We may already be in the dystopia. We may be. Right. You know, I've watched right. plenty of uh, post-apocalyptic shows. Money and gold are both worthless. Water. What? Yeah, water and food. You you go back to bartering. Yep. What are you gonna do with gold other than make a necklace out of it? Not much, unless but. people, you know, yeah, actually have something that they're willing to sell for gold. But once the professor destroys the world's economy with his uh, gold-making machine. Gold will be worthless, so. Yeah, right. But anyway, uh, at first they don't believe it, but the Daily Planets, they have vouched for the professor's lunacy. Honest, honesty, rather. And maybe lunacy is lunacy <laughs> as well, I don't know. Right. You know, I just think of this scene where Clark is telling them about how all of the professor's machines have worked. I could just imagine him trying to uh, tell these guys about the topsy-turvy machine. Or, Mis <laughs> or Mr. McTavish. Yeah. Forgot about McTavish. That was the last episode we did. I know. I slipped my mind, and there it was, right there. Way to go, McTavish. So basically, uh, the uh, after he's called into, the, into Perry White's office, Pepperwinkle is told to go back home and don't make any gold again. And uh, <laughs> oh well, okay, okay. No, it's for not to be a ghost town. Oh, that'd be dreadful. <laughs> so after they leave, Perry makes a big show out of telling everybody that it's top secret. He doesn't want anything to leak out, and that goes double for for you, Mister J. Blabbermouth Olson, who promises that he won't spill spill a word. So what does Jimmy do? He does that. He tells everybody. Yeah, he's in the diner talking about it, and yeah, he he blabs. He blabs indirectly, kind of. Well, loudly and directly in a public place, which Jimmy should not be doing. Right. But just goes to show you can't take Jimmy anywhere, especially that diner. <laughs> so, so thinking about Jimmy's dream, just getting a little ahead. I often wondered how Jimmy knew what the two crooks looked like. I guess when he looks over the booth, he probably sees them. Yeah. So that takes care of that. Lois yells at Jimmy to lower his voice, but by then it's too late. And uh, so we get a quick dissolve to Pepperwinkle being held up. And for some reason, the image of Professor Pepperwinkle with his hands up and a gun being pointed at him is, is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but it looks funny. It shouldn't, but it does. Yeah. He is. He's just a good character. He's just a funny... He's just a good character. And this gives Elbow the chance to monologue. So uh, apparently these two guys want 
$2 million worth of gold, but the uh, machine can only make about $6,000 worth a day, which is a pretty good payday. And uh, Pretty good. Six Back then, I'd like 6000 a day now. I'd like it now, you bet. But 6000 a day, how yeah, many days to, take, take almost, to make $2 million? So that's no, like it'll 30 take, days? Uh, 333 days. 300? I missed my decimal point, yeah. It'll so it'll take them a full year to make the $2 million. Just about. And they'll need, of course, $4 million in platinum. Right, so <laughs> <laughs> these guys will be bankrupt by then. Yeah. All right, so then we go back to the Daily Planet office. Clark is looking pretty glum. He doesn't want to go out of town to cover the convention. I don't know, maybe it's boring or something. But he uh, he wants to stay around and watch uh, Professor Pepperwinkle. I love Jimmy's comment about how it's all expenses paid and that he wish uh, Perry would send him. I love Clark's retort. Yeah, I wish I'd send you, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> now Clark. <laughs> so, Clark passes the phone message to them about how the professor said not to worry. What is the first thing you do when someone tells you not to worry? Worry. Yeah. If the professor didn't want them to worry, why call them at all? Exactly. So, but, so Lois is about to call him back to find out what, what he was talking about. Jimmy has a better idea. Let's waste the gas and go over and see him. <laughs> So, the professor tells Lois and Jimmy what happened, <laughs> and I, lo- I love this next bit where Jimmy says, someone has a big mouth. Yeah. And just yeah. starts tapping him on the shoulder. Yeah. You know, almost like, you know, the teacher yelling at the student. Yep. Me. You. Me. <laughs> you. Yeah. So, the uh, professor shows them the sandbags, his automatic crook stoppers, which should probably be renamed as the automatic Jimmy stoppers. <laughs> right. Because Jimmy uh, gets hit and Jimmy goes down. And he wakes up rather quickly. Vision gets kind of blurry as he gets up. You know, if you look at him, this is the tr- obviously the transition to the dream. Right. But if this is the first time you're seeing it, that could just be Jimmy kind of refocusing his eyes after he got exactly. beat up the head. So exactly. They- That's what they want you to think, that it's him kind of refocusing, not going into a dream. They don't want you to know it's a dream until the end. They did the same thing in The Wedding of Superman. Yeah. It was, they didn't obviously cut to a dream until... We find out at but the end. But you knew that, that one was going to be all fake because it was Lois basically going to bed. Right. And when do we ever see her going to bed? Right. Never. But you know, they kind of, they, I think they, they kind of uh, telegraphed that one, as they used to say. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't telegraph that one here as much. Not as much. That one I thought was very subtle. Maybe this one had a better director. <laughs> so. So Jimmy Jimmy stands up, and all of a sudden, we're talking about, instead of the crooks, we're talking about positive and negative kryptonite. Yeah. Well, why not? Why not? Yeah. And apparently, Superman is charged with positive kryptonite. I guess positive, good, negative, negative, bad. <laughs> so the professor gives a rat some positive, no, I guess it's a mouse. He says it's not a rat. Yeah, it's a mouse. Some positive kryptonite. You know, I just watched it earlier tonight, and I noticed that... He picks up the mouse. You look at some of these performances, you wonder what's scripted and what's not. Right. Because I think he starts to say his line, Phil Teed does, and then he says, stop that to the mouse. Oh, yeah. I think Yeah, I, I noticed that, too. I think he made that up. I think the mouse was nibbling on his finger or something. He just yelled, stop that, and yeah. went back into his line. Yeah, but he still stayed in character the way he yeah, said ab- it. absolutely. So. Yeah. Because then he does it again after he puts the... Uh, Puts the mouse back wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. No, I think that was him. I think he, that's him doing those those little extra little bits. Right. Tells the mouse to be quiet after he puts it back. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, just for the record, no matter how I don't care how much you're paying me, mm-hmm. I'm not picking up a mouse. 
<laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Not even a lab mouse, which would be a lot different than those the little gray rodents that might slip into your house. The only kind of mouse I'm willing to pick up is one that has already had its neck broken. <laughs> and then you're just going to pick up the trap and throw that away. You're not going to actually pick up the mouse. Although, yeah. you get, although you do have to make sure the mouse is dead. Right. Yeah, there are people that can do that. I'm not a big fan of holding little things with very fast, creepy, crawly little paws and stuff. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a big fan of holding the little things like that either. I have. Right. But I don't like to hold birds either. I, you know, and I know people who just, oh, is there a kid? No, it's a bird. It's no. No. But, hey, people, you know? Yeah. People. But I do think it's funny when he puts the mouse back down and the mouse pulls the safe. Yeah. I'm not sure the mouse's feet are actually touching the floor. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure the mouse is actually pulling anything. <laughs> oh, of course not. But I, I think even the way they put the mouse in, whatever it's holding. Right. That's supposed to be the harness or whatever that allows him to pull the safe. <laughs> I think like, it's all, it looks like it's kind of just Velcroed to that. Yeah, it's pretty A little hard. rope and it just moves to get. Did they have Velcro in 1958? I have no idea. Yeah, me neither. I don't remember when it was invented. But uh, however they attached the mouse, it was weirdly, it was attached right to the to the side of the mouse. Uh-huh. That's pretty funny. So Then he puts the mouse back and tells it to stop that. So I guess the mouse was annoying him. Yeah. So uh, was it Jimmy eat the positive kryptonite? Because why not? Of course. Yeah, he needed a human subject. Right. Because it would be very scientific for him to test it on himself. But Lois and Jimmy are perfectly happy to sign up for human trials. Didn't sign a waiver. You know, Lois wasn't her typical, now, Jimmy, don't do that. Don't be ridiculous. Nope. She this was... time, it was just, okay. Okay, chomp, why chomp. not? So, uh, so they, they eat the kryptonite because nothing bad can happen from putting a foreign substance into your body. And here's where things get a little weird, a little iffy. Did at any point before the dream, did Pepper Winkle mention the $10,000 to them? No. So how could Jimmy know about that in the dream? Uh... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe he did. Maybe that's why they were there. When does he actually tell him? Because the crooks were definitely there in real life. Right, beforehand. Before Jimmy gets hit on the head. Right. No, that just might be part of Jimmy's dream. He just dreamed up the $10,000 that they happened to give him. All right, well, that's fine. Yeah, but he couldn't. So Professor had to have told them the story. Right. And then... Oh, that's why Jimmy got hit, because he was telling them the story that the crooks wanted him to make gold for them right and he was explaining how he doesn't have to worry because when they come back he's going to use this which then hits jimmy in the head so we can assume that even though we may not have heard it there was that moment where professor pepperwinkle was explaining to jimmy and lois about the ten thousand dollars that he is being forced to make uh, gold right because the ten thousand dollars sends them off to the fifth national bank right where they visit the uh, bank president Formerly a judge in the town of Ackboard, and before that, a wrestling promoter. <laughs> right, right. Now, this is also something that should pretty pop out to you, too. The way this guy acts. He the actually, banker? Yeah. Yeah. Because no banker would act like this. Oh, of course not. This is total dream sequence here. You can't actually go to the president of a bank ask him, and ask who made a withdrawal. No. They won't no. tell you that. Not at all. And even after they tell you what they're not going to tell you, they don't go and say, here, you want some money? 
Yeah, exactly. That's why this scene right here sets it up and lets you know, you know, it's another clue that this is totally a dream. Yeah. None of this is real. The way they're acting, the way they're talking about the superheroes, that's Super Lois and Super Jimmy. Right. Yay! Yeah, all of that whole scene lets you know that something's not quite right here. Right, and I do, I do love the little scene, the little moment after they leave. Why do Superman did that? Superman and Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. I think in Jimmy's uh, dream, she's quite taken with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's Jimmy's <laughs> the dream. Way, the, the way she was kind of looking out the window. See, there's another clue. It's a yeah. dream. It's Jimmy dreaming. The cute secretary has yeah, eyes for, for Jimmy. Ooh, got the vapors. Yes, they do. <laughs> they arrive at the warehouse. The Acme warehouse, of course. Of course. They x-ray it and listen in on the two men. And this is a neat little sequence. This is a fun sequence. Yeah, I agree. This is a fun little sequence. Oh, and I remember a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, somebody in the uh, in the Adventures Continue Facebook group pointed out a little continuity flaw in here. Yeah. Yeah, Lois is wearing heels to most of the episode. Hmm? Lois lands in flats. Wait a minute. When what? Where? Th- throughout most of the episode. She's got heels on. She's got yeah. heels on. Yeah. But she's wearing flats when they land at the warehouse. Is she? Because I thought that was funny because I was even thinking to myself that, wow, she kicks the door down with heels, but she's not wearing heels. No. Interesting. Good catch. I did not notice that. But let me ask you this. Do continuity errors kind of go out the window in a dream sequence? Pretty much. Because anything can happen. Anything can happen. Wave it away. You could justify it that way anyway, that it's just a dream. But no, in reality, you're probably is some sort of a continuity error. Right. Or they just realized, we do want Lois kicking the thing down, and maybe she tried it twice with the heels on and couldn't do it. Well, it looked like they it looked like they were doing things the way George does. In the flying sequence, do you see her feet? Particularly the one where they're flying to this warehouse. You might. Yeah. Because the first flight, when they first get powers and leave the professor after Jimmy breaks out the wall, I think you see them full body flight. Yeah, I think you do. Lois behind Jimmy, though. Well, on the other side, not behind, but beside him. But Kim made a point, my wife made a point, that she was on the other side because Jimmy's in the regular pan, and they didn't make an extra one for Lois. So you would be seeing the mechan of the board or whatever she's laying on. So they put her behind Jimmy and up a little bit, but enough to hide whatever it is that's keeping her up. That was an interesting little visual. But anyway, on the flight here then to the warehouse... We don't know what shoes she has on, but when she lands now, she no longer has high heels on. She has flats. Right, that's the only time we see them land, so. Okay, which is, again, the way they jump and fall like that, she couldn't have done those in high heels. She couldn't no, she do that. If she tried to come up in off the bar as George does, <laughs> yeah, no she'd, way. Have broke, she'd have broken her ankle. Yeah, there's no way. No way. So, yeah, I might have to check that one again. I didn't look at that landing sequence as closely as I probably should have. God bless YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you think that'll be there, too? Yeah, it's, I'm watching it right now. It's here. She, oh. she, yep, she's wearing the flats as she lands. Mm-hmm. She's wearing the heels when they go in. Really? Yeah. So flats when she lands, flats when she kicks the door. But when they walk in, she's wearing heels again. Well, I couldn't tell what she was wearing when she kicked the door. Okay, because I always thought it was an amazing scene if she still had high heels on and she kicked that door down with high heels on. Because there are cuts in that scene. 
Yeah, a lot of them, I bet. Yeah, because especially when they when they cut to the they cut to the to the door. So, they... then, so maybe they thought for the quickness of her just jumping off the stool or whatever t- to land. Yeah, they put her in flats and then cut, put her back in the high heels to walk up to the door and do the fake kick. Right. To then walk in. So interesting, interesting. See, boys and girls, what you have learned by listening. To the Man of Screen podcast. And this is what I learned when I spent too much time on Facebook. <laughs> Basically. I know the feeling. <laughs> so uh, Lois gets to kick the door down and Jimmy gets to have the bullets bounce off of him. Dun, da, da. And oh, I, I keep l- going back to that theme instead of the... Instead this. of this. Wow. That shows how powerful that, that theme is in those uh, Fleischer cartoons. And I guess the radio show had the same... The radio theme. show uses something similar. Yeah. Very similar, so. So now that, and I like this punch Jimmy delivers to these two guys. Yeah. Left and a right, each stomach, and down they go. Jimmy done good. Yeah, he had done good. And uh, now they're back at the lab, and uh, the, he scares the professor, and he hits the button, and down goes Jimmy again. Apparently, the kryptonite has worn off. Uh, apparently. It's a good thing the kryptonite doesn't wear off while they're flying. That would be kind of a messy situation. Yeah. I see. I often thought that when reading comics back in this time period, when somebody would get, you know, drink an elixir or something would happen and there's a time limit. I would be just looking at my, I would be so, oh man, okay, well I can do this and this, but I can't do that because time's going to run out. And what if I'm flying and what if somebody's shooting a bullet at me just as the last second? Yeah. I don't want that temporary. Give me the real deal. Well, then even then, how do you know? If you're flying with a t- if, and you got a time limit, you better have a parachute with you. You better. You better be very careful. They're back. And the yep, we get the blurry bolts. vision again, and Jimmy wakes up, and uh, Jimmy gets really angry that Pepperwinkle put the sandbags back up. Mm-hmm. Like, what'd you do that for? We already captured the crooks. <laughs> and then it takes them a minute to uh, talk him down and because he was dreaming. And then, then it starts to dawn on him that it was a dream. Yeah. A hole in the wall isn't there. And he almost, ki- and he almost killed himself breaking into the breaking, trying to break out of that wall. Yeah, which I believe is in the same spot that George Reeves will come through in a, f- a few minutes later. Probably, yes. I wonder how hard Jack Larson threw himself at the wall. <laughs> well, and then, and then the crooks show back up, and when they're told to tie up, get tie them up. I love the look on Jimmy's face. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> he just kind of throws his hand to this side, like, "All right." So, what do you think of this sequence here with the, with Crazy Pepperwinkle uh, throwing stuff in the, throwing everything and anything into that machine? Yeah, I think it's funny. I think it's it's a real fun comedy beat um, because right here is when we're starting to learn what's happening, and and uh, and then the crooks are going to figure, you know, they're going to f- get the truth too, how much it's costing. And uh, Phil T looks like he's having a great time doing all this. I think he is. I think he's just having fun. And I, it's almost like he's making up some of the stuff he's throwing in there, too. It's really funny. Right. It's just a funny bit. I mean, he's uh, apple cider. Why would you put apple cider in gold? <laughs> and then, uh, and uh, why, why is it a very important ingredient? Very important. And he pours it and then throws the bottle in after it. it it's just... It kind of yeah. reminds me of uh, something that we'll see later in movies. Mr. Fusion from the second Back to the Future movie. Oh, right. <laughs> Where Doc picks the trash and uh, yeah. throws the stuff in yeah. there. Yeah. I think the Three Stooges did uh, something like this, too. 
a machine where they – not a gold-making machine, but right. a machine where you just put a whole bunch of stuff in it. I think it was a cooking machine of some kind. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a funny bit, and, and uh, he plays it to the hill. He and does. stays in character and giggling and laughing through the whole thing. And then the platinum. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> platinum? And where did this guy get platinum from? Oh, just a bar he had laying around just for this sort of an emergency. And if platinum is more valuable than gold, yes. why aren't we trading platinum? Because it's too rare. There's not uh, enough of it. I think that's how it goes. Okay. I don't know. I just think it's probably back from olden times. Yeah. Gold just is gold, man. It's yeah. gold. It's gold. So huh. do, you ever, do you ever wonder what this machine actually did spit out? It wasn't gold. Yeah, what was it? A little brick of something. I always like that, too. It was like in that other episode where they were stealing the armored car. And it's obvious that the gold bullion are little wooden blocks, painted gold. Because right. with George at one point knocks them all out, it doesn't make clink. It doesn't make the sound that gold would make. It makes no, it the sound, sound like wooden, bowling pins. Yeah, it's like wooden blocks are being knocked around. And I think you see the acting here. The same kind of thing happens here with some of these bars that right. they're trying to act as if it's heavier than it actually is. Well, that happened when uh, the fake Superman was carrying the gold. Yeah, it was. It terrible. was. It was heavy for him, but yeah, it was terrible. But Superman just kind of knocks it all out of the way like it's not even there. Yeah. So, serious design floor in gold that you need $10,000 worth of platinum to make $5,000 worth of gold. That just doesn't seem to work or make sense. Makes no sense. So, Unlike you, where did Pepperwinkle get a bar that looks like it came out of, you know, Fort Knox or something? Where does one go to get a bar of platinum? I don't know, but, you know, there's no, we have no reason to know that's actually platinum. He could just be saying that. Uh, just to fool the crooks? Yeah, I guess. Now, he says later it was too expensive, so. He does. Which is why he destroyed his time machine, too. Not his time machine, his transfer machine. Telephone call machine. Right, well, yeah, the long distance. Because he was going broke for the long distance calls. (laughs) That was a funny episode. Back when long distance was a thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it's not anymore. No, no, but then it was very definitely a thing. Very funny. I told my long-distance story back on that episode. Mm, good. So I'm not going to tell it again. No, no. Tell people to go listen to that episode. So, uh, well, hopefully they already did. Yeah. Yeah, you would think. So uh, so Jimmy uh, falls asleep during all, <laughs> during all this. <laughs> <laughs> A nice little bit. I love how after that we uh, go back to uh, Perry's office that Jimmy is trying to justify having fallen asleep. <laughs> he was so tired from being... Uh, all those Not super feats. <laughs> All the super feats he did in his dream. Yeah. He was tired. That was over. All the super feats that he didn't do were very tiring. <laughs> right. Not to mention that he got hit with those sandbags. He probably has post-concussion syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So... I was watching a Western the other night, or not a Western, a cop show, but from this time period, not this time, a little later, from the 60s. Right. And I was just thinking, man... People back then got hit in the back of the head a lot with gun butts. Yeah. And I'm thinking, would that really just knock you out like that? People do it all the time on TV. Walk up behind somebody, hit them once behind the head with a gun, and it just knocks them out for a little while. 
Well, I believe like the head trauma would. The question is, would they get up there as quickly as would they Would they do? get back up, and wouldn't they have some sort of head trauma? And... Jimmy should have serious brain damage by now. Oh, my God. The many times he's been hit on the head? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, yay, TV comic books. Yes. Well, <laughs> either way, I love this ending line about how great it is to be just like Superman. Yes. Yes. Guess I mean, I... I know they didn't know this would be the last episode of the series. Right. But it's almost the perfect moment to end on. Yeah, it really is. The line, anyway. If the not line, the not, the epi- not, the, not the episode, no. But, uh, yeah, the line, I agree. Very, you know, poetic, so to speak. But uh, and, and I guess when they filmed this, they didn't know if they were coming back. But I think they assumed they were. I don't think anybody was saying the show was canceled. I think it was just taking them a while to renew. I think they assumed there would be another season. But then when you lose George and John, yeah. Well, and then we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit next week. Yeah. They were prepared to move on without John Hamilton. Yes, they were. And they probably would have gotten away with it. Yeah, probably, depending on how the other characters and the stories and stuff, yeah, but probably. Well, it was going to be Pierre Watkin. Yeah. And I think he would have done an admirable job. You know, he would have been a decent Perry White. He was a decent Perry White. It was just been a matter of would. Yes, he would. But but it would have, you know. Well, he was. He did it. He did it before. Yeah. And with. With Noel. Noel and the Anna man. But, you know, would people have accepted him after five years, six years of of uh, John Hamilton pretty much every week, if not, every, you know, in reruns every day? I guess by the time he went to reruns, they would have. But I also heard rumors. That they were going to cast him as Perry White's brother or something like that, too. Yeah, I think that would have been better, actually, to have Perry do something else and his brother, or even die within the script, but yeah. and the brother take over. Or a couple. Well, I could do you one better. Yeah. Could have brought back somebody else who had faded, who had faded away. They could have cast him as George Taylor. Oh, perfect. They could have done George Taylor. I don't know if they would have been thinking that far ahead back then. Well, that was thinking back. Backwards, right. That had George been, Taylor had since faded away. Right, but that would have been interesting to if they would have dug back into the archives to do that. It's not like today. It seems like today they're digging back to pull everything they can from any other source they can. But, you know, some of that's good. Some of it's groanful. But is that a word, groanful? Yeah, it can be if you want it to be. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, this to end this like this, it... it knowing that this was the last episode is bad. That's the bad part about this. It's not a terrible episode. Like you said, it's a very typical Pepper Pepper Winkle episode. Played for comedy, you know, and you get some good beats out of it. You get some great Jack Larson comic bits. And and, um, Pepper Winkle, what's his face? Teague is just brilliant. He's got this character nailed. Yes, he does. And, you know, it's too bad time period because I'd love to see him uh, other stuff and and maybe an interview. That's modern age. We'd, we'd know more about the guy. Right. But I don't know anything about this guy. No, me neither. Nothing. And I would like to know more about this guy. But anyway, as far as it, it, it that's the downside is that the series ended on this, which was kind of a comedy goofy episode. See, what's weird is, though, you know, they really didn't pay, seem to pay attention to what shows began or ended the seasons. No. 
Like, I wouldn't have even ended a season with this. No, no, not at all. I would have, uh, again, like we were saying earlier, Perils of Superman would have been a great way to end the series, right. the season, even if it was, as we know now, the last of the series. But if it had been one just that ended the sixth season, you would be looking forward to the seventh, thinking, right. wow, that's a really good direction. The sixth season had probably seven or eight good episodes out of the 13 and we couldn't do that in in season five we couldn't no. get half of them that were you know really good you want to go back and watch them again right how many times could you literally really now that you've gone through this year how many times are you going to go back and watch uh the elephant uh oh. or prince albert's coat or you know there's so many during the fifth season where you're just not gonna you just don't want to go back there if I am doing a rewatch of the entire series, yeah, the completest in me would demand that I watch them. Uh, agreed, agreed. But I'm not going to pop those discs in to watch that episode. Yeah, those aren't just the ones you go to. If you're going to pop in an episode, you're going to watch something from the first couple of seasons. But I would have no problem popping in Perils of Superman uh, or the other ones that we talked about here in the sixth season. There were some really good episodes, and that's why I'm thinking we don't know what season seven would have been like. No, we don't. But we can hope that there would have been more of this cut, the perils than glitters. Right. You know, but I think it would have been a lot like season seven or season six, with uh, roughly half of them being you know really decent mystery, weird power stuff. And uh, we would have seen George directing more of them. And uh, I think we would have seen Potter back. I mean, Pepperwinkle back again. Probably. Because he did two right here in the sixth season. Oh, he did more than that. Uh, at least th- did three, at least. He did Gentle Monster. Oh, Big yeah, Forget. Geez, I keep forgetting the Gentle Monster. And this one. Yeah. So three. When was um, Topsy Turvy? Was that fifth season? That was his first appearance as Pepperwinkle, so I think that was the fifth, fifth season. season. Yeah. He did five as Pepperwinkle. Okay. I don't remember what the other one was off the top of my head. Topsy Turvy. Well, there's four right there. So Topsy Turvy, All That Glitters, The Big Forget, Gentle Monster. There was one more. Oh, The Phony Alibi. Ah, Phony Alibi. Uh, pfft, you got there first. You win. Right. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, but anyway, that's, that's uh, yeah, there it is. That's how right. it ends. That's how the series ends. ends. George Reeves directing basically a comedy episode. Yeah, and it's a bittersweet line and a yeah. bittersweet way to end the series. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. next time we're going to wrap up our Adventures of Superman coverage mm-hmm. with a final talk about the legacy of the show. And I guess we'll have to talk about the 500-pound elephant in the room being the death of George Reeves. Yeah, guess we'll have to. And uh, we're also going to take a glance, I'm not going to call it an in-depth look, at the film Hollywoodland, mm-hmm. which talked about the life of George Reeves. Talked about it, yeah. I don't necessarily want to say it's uh, really a biopic, so to speak. Well, it's not. It is a. It is fictional. It is a piece of fiction based on the stories about George's George death. And and I think and, that uh, they make no, no conclusions. If you think they're going to come up with a, uh, a definitive conclusion to what happened, they don't really do that. They take you through many of the possible 
scenario. And, and we're only going to talk about the stuff that relates to George Reeves. We're not going to really talk about the whatever subplots involved. The nightclub, the girlfriends, the... Well, we can, we can talk about the George Reeves stuff. But All the stuff that pertains to George, but not... I see the, no reason to talk about the stuff that kind of pertains to that other... to the detective's story. Right, right. His story, right. No, no. We're mainly interested in the George Reeves stuff. Right. So that's until so until then, uh, when, Bob, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? You can find me at the same old place over at the old Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. And you can send me an email to bob at supermanforever.com. And you can find me at the same old new digs over at twotruefreaks.com. Ooh, we're on Two True Freaks now. Hi, Two True Freaks. We're on the Freaks Network. Yes, yeah, I have been for the past five or so weeks. Oh, hoity-toity. <laughs> and you can send an email to the show at manofscreen at gmail.com, and you can leave me a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. Thank you.